Hello, and welcome back to the Building the Baseline podcast. My name is James McCool. Uh, This is the third episode of this really long series that I'm doing since nobody has anything else to do in the daily fantasy industry right now. Um, The last couple episodes, I did the first episode with Derek Hardy, and the last episode was with David Hess. We are getting back into the kind of pro landscape here now with my guest, Arturo Galetti. Uh, he is one of the sharpest people in the industry. He builds better models than I think anybody else, um, including Derek Cardi and including uh, like Oddsmaker. Like those guys are good, but Arturo has built some of the models that have carried some of the top minds and, and really put an edge towards everything else. So I have him this week. Arturo, how are you doing today, man? I am doing very well. I, I I like to always say that I am I'm technically retired, but kind of. Well, actually, I'm currently technically retired uh, because, uh, and I was explaining this before, like the the legal situation now in Puerto Rico, by the way. And currently, they, they it was a gray area and undefined before, so we could play on the island. Now it's actually legal, but like the the bean counters, I haven't actually set up any rules, so currently nobody has any licensing, so the sites technically. Can't even though they're legally allowed to since last July, they can't actually hold any contests on the island. It's kind of screwed up. So I've I, and I was kind of I'm mentioning that like I've, I spent my time kind of working on some of the other stuff that we're doing uh, at our site. I'm uh, currently working uh, with and for Daily Roto, uh, and I uh, build uh, you know I, I build their optimizer, I build their tools, I uh, help the guys with the models, and I do a lot of like different things. I'm I'm the guy who like builds stuff. Right. Um, and my background in DFS is I started way back when. Uh, God, it's I, like the story I always tell to like place people in terms of when I started is like one of my first big, uh, big, big tilts for DFS was the elevator fire in Mexico, uh, which was uh, the elevator fire in Mexico it was a game. It was it was Kevin Love and the Minnesota Timberwolves were playing the Spurs and it was a big game on the slate and they're playing in Mexico City. And there was a fire in the elevator at the arena, and the game was canceled. And everybody had that game, and everybody got hosed. And God, that's it's got to be like, is that almost a decade ago at this point? Yeah, that's that's, that's a while ago, dude. God, I, and, and I remember, and I, I remember it clearly, the elevator fire. And uh, so, I, like, the, my build partner at the time, uh, who I will very politely not identify by his uh, by his name, by you know he. Um, my build partner at the time and I like both were like had heavily exposed and we were all like very annoyed at that game. And then he like, he, he went up late. I think later in the season, he had a huge, big, huge hit on, on LMA, which is hilarious because he's written like a bunch of hit pieces on LMA too at the time. So it's, 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 it's kind of funny. It's like, um, but yeah. And then I, 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 this was kind of my sideline. I, I had a, like I said, the job in the real world. I was a manufacturer engineer and I was also kind of a, uh, GM. Uh, I worked for uh, Johnson Johnson, General Electric. I, I ran plants, uh, manufacturing plants for medical devices. I ran uh, manufacturing plants for uh, breakers. I actually helped modify the design of the breakers used in your house. I made them safer and I made them more reliable. This was like, it was one of those like really, really interesting things where like, oh, this has always been a problem all the time. Like, and I looked at it like, well, your problem is it's like a paperclip. What do you mean like a paperclip? Yeah, if you bend it back and forth, it breaks. So, so what you want to do is you want to make sure you don't like heat them because then if you heat them and they break, so it's a big whole thing. It sounds it's more complicated than it sounds, but I made breakers and houses safer uh, at one point in my in my in my uh, in my career. And then like I got back into it, I'd gotten out of DFS and then I got back into it because another friend of mine who's my current build partner, 
uh, just was a guy. He's, he liked us. He reached out and asked people questions. Uh, he got me back into it, and I was actually like, I was actually like, I got back into DFS to write about. It. So I, I started playing just because. Oh, people are playing DFS. Let, let you know. Let me let me see if I you know let me build something and and kind of start playing. And, and I started playing. And I started winning, and I kept playing, and uh, did well for myself. And then I ended up like with the daily rotoflex, uh, kind of working with that. And building them the tools, so like, so Colin Drew can go out and win, win all the all your showdown slates. Yeah, so that Colin can go out and win every single showdown slate in the, every single sport. The most hilarious and, thing about that the showdown tool is like I don't know if you know the story, but like, so the day we built our first showdown optimizer, we built a dev version, and I put it out there. Say, so, hey guys, take a look at this. Uh, like uh, Drew Dinkmeyer actually ran lines with it that day. I was like, "What did you do? That that, that I, I wasn't sure it was working." Not only did he re- he, he he ran lines and he won the contest too. He, he yeah. won that. They were like, "But that was like," it, and it was literally like it was a dead version that like I, I was surprised he managed to get anything out of it. But he won like from the first day that like that that showed up model kind of was winning. No, but it, I mean it's kind of like. Uh... Back when I was with Daily Roto, and for those that don't know, I did work with Daily Roto. I worked with uh, Drew Dinkmeyer and Mike Leone. That was the first company that I worked with um, in content creation in the industry. Um, I remember a, a little bit back towards like the later part of my tenure there, uh, it was Albatross. It was Christian built a machine learning model for NASCAR. And like same story, basically, where he's like, hey, guys, I built this thing that uh, is for NASCAR. And maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. But like, we don't have anything else to do. I'm pretty sure it was during the All-Star break. And Mike's like, yeah, screw it. So he max entered and he actually ended up taking down that NASCAR tournament with like a newly built model with no back testing and just just this dead thing that probably shouldn't have worked as well as it did. But when a smart person makes something, you just you use it and it's good. You saw you saw that Gallon had a big uh, XFL score week too, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> that that kind of that kind of I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah, let's 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 mess around with something and see. Like, oh, oh, wait, that actually works. And uh, yeah. yeah, that 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 happens more often. Like, it, one of the interesting things about this is in in um, so a lot of the time for DFS, right, uh, and for life, really, um, there isn't one right answer, right? So there, there's going to be multiple right answers of multiple styles. Like, and anybody who's ever played something like MLB, MLB DFS will know about it. I mean, there are 10 ways you can play an MLB DFS slate, and none of them are wrong, per se, right? I mean, well, actually, some of them are wrong, and you know who you are. But, like, uh, but what I mean is, like, there, there are different answers, and it's such a variety that, like, in essence, what you want to make sure of is, like, you're, you, there's 10 different ways to answer this problem. And, again, I think the thing people have to keep in mind is, like, when you build this kind of thing is you have to track what you're doing, right? And you have to learn how to differentiate from what is – um, like, you know, what is happenstance and what is actual, like, kind of a trend, right? It's like differentiate, like, that data from information, right? And, and yeah, I mean, like, you, you can build something, you try it out, and it works for a short term, but it might, might not necessarily be a good a good term thing. So, for example, I, like, one of the more recent things I did is I built this, I built a prop model, right? And it's a prop model for MBA, and... When I built it, I set up like a tracking mechanism for it that basically keeps track of whether it's good or not. And, and I know you do the same thing for some of the models that you built. And, you know, if you see kind of, you know, if it wins one or two days, but if you see something like, oh, here's a month of bets and here's 5,000 bets that it's made and the ROI is around 6%. Well, that's pretty goddamn good, right? And it's consistent. You can see winning slates. That's the kind of thing you have to do. And you have to continuously challenge yourself to keep doing that because, and you and I were talking about this before, 
where the market does actually get smarter, right? And uh, it, it's kind of hilarious, like how things kind of like the market evolves. Like I like it, and and I'll mention this for users. Like one thing I actually do every year. So every year, uh, for the past seven years, I record a over unders podcast with Danny Larue and Real GM, right? And in essence, every year, like we go out, we make these picks, and they end up putting about end up the ones where we select them end up around a sixty five or seventy percent win right on the over unders, right? And we've kept track. Basically, if you bet with us using what we've done, you've won money every year, right? This is it's happened. It's documented. I put it out there. It's published. You can go listen to our recordings for the past seven years and look at the dates if you don't believe us. And so the funny part is like nobody used to pay attention to that. Like, and it's almost hilarious. Like when we love something, like say, oh, we really like this one. You can kind of see the lines will move and adapt because people are listening and paying attention. And if you have a winning track record, the market will adjust because the people who don't adjust will not actually win any money, right? So it, oh, it's, yeah. it's a key. It's a key. It's a key. It's a key learning with DFS is like the market will always be smarter next year, right? It's always well, going to be smarter next year. Something that I thought that I thought was really interesting. A, a podcast I listened to a while ago from the Data Camp podcast. They uh, they had the lead manager of I think it was MGM or or some major casino that was talking about his betting product and the market and saying we we aren't really we we aren't really building a model that says that we are smarter than the market. The, the market is our client, and if the client is is putting something together that is pushing us farther then we have to adapt if you don't re if you don't adapt to the market then you're going to be done the water and so vegas themselves when when they put out a line of course their model that they say hey here's our line here's what our model thinks pick a side well if people if people are going farther to one side then they have to adjust that line up that's where those line movements move and when you hear the sharps you're not necessarily people make a mistake of thinking that sharps are the guys who are putting millions of dollars on the line they're not Sharps are the trusted people from the books that the books know, hey, if person X puts down money on this side, then we need to adjust our model because they're wanna, usually very smart. You want to, you, let's get really, really, really wonky. Um, really, really, really wonky because I think it's important, right? So, and, and, and some of the questions I'm uh, like, so, so, uh, so James has a script and like, I'm kind of trying to kind of follow on that. One of the things he, he wants to talk about, like, where do I see the industry going? And I think for DFS, DFS is a subset of gambling. Right, and it always was a subset of gambling, and everybody who thought differently was was probably lying for their own benefit, right? Or or like kind of misguided. And it's a all the DFS is just uh, all DFS is just like a combination of parlays. That's all it is. Yes, that's exactly what it is. But uh, but the, here's here's what I'm trying to get to, right? So one of the things that's actually interesting. So you have to think about everything in terms of gambling and the benefit. And one of the interesting things people kind of always miss is if you're a book, right? If I am a sports book, how do I make my money? I do not make my money by being smarter than you on who wins and who loses. I make my money by smartly setting my lines so that like the action is even on both sides. Because if I do that, my money is on the big, right? Where a casino gets hosed, right, is when there's uneven money on each side and they have to pay, like, and when the side that has the most money wins and they have to pay out. And what that means is like, so... Any book will like for every transaction, basically that you make in a sports book. The sports book is getting, let's say, around ten percent, right? So they're getting a ten percent commission. So for every, if they spend a billion dollars, if a billion dollars is bet, right? 
what they'd like to do is they'd like to make it so that they're making $100 million and like basically you're paying your opponent, right? And the way to do that is they, they have to make sure that there's an equal number of money on both sides, right? Now, this is an oversimplification. Books try to get smarter about how they set the lines moving around. But at the end of the day, what they really want is they want the customers playing the customers and they're just getting a skim off the top, right? They would love and, for it to be 50-50 on either side. Right. Yeah, some casinos try to get smarter about that. But at the end of the day, that's what you want. You want basically you want 50-50 on both sides. And to that, and that's how you should be building. So this stuff actually like, and if you want to get like kind of wonky, I've actually like talked to some people who helped set these lines. These lines are like come, there's like an offshore book, which are really sharp, and they bet like they which are open lines, and those are open, and that sets the opening line of consensus, and then it gets moved around. And there's literally somebody on the book with like an algorithm moving around. You can actually see the line. I've I've I have friends who sit there and track line line movement, right? And they look to see in which direction the book is moving the line. Because where the book is moving the line, like so if, if a million dollars comes in on one side and, and it jumps, right, and the, and the book immediately sets it, that tells you something, right? Yeah. Because that tells you what the casino actually believes. And like that generally that is a sharp move, what you're talking about, somebody being inside the building. But again, at the end of the day, you know, it isn't that like the ideal casino isn't saying that they think that the 49ers were like uh, – you know, three-point favorites in the Super Bowl, right? Or actually, they were three-point dogs. That's not what the casino's saying. They're saying that if we set the, the public thinks that, or the public, mm -hmm. like, the if we set that at this price point, I'll get money on both sides, right? Yeah. That's kind of what they're doing. What they're trying to make sure of is, like, you have to always keep that in mind because, in essence, that's what the casino's trying to do, right? And what you're trying to play at, if as a player, right? This thing happens in DFS, too. What you're trying to play at is information asymmetry, Right? So your edge is built around you have information that nobody else has, right? Or you have a projection that nobody else has, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why we were talking about earlier how like some model, like stuff that wouldn't work for the NBA will work for something like world, worldwide soccer because, or like for like say the NCAA tournament, which is coming up, which again, I've, built, I've been building an NCAA tournament model. People who have followed me online know this for like more than a decade. And a lot of people have made a lot of money on it, right? We, we put that up there, we put that out there, because what happens is during the season, the the people who are bet you're betting against people who are sharp during the season for NCAA basketball. For NCAA basketball for the tournament, you're betting against the public. And the public is not as sharp as the people who are, like somebody who's betting on NCAA basketball games in December is a lot, generally going more than somebody who's betting on NCAA basketball games in March, right? So, the you you have to come into it like and this is a, a situation where you can come in with very simple like Kemp bomb like grand use basic uh schedule adjustments and do that and use Russell in a fairly simple sharper than the general public right because that model is it has an information asymmetry it has more information that the public has available mm -hmm. i like that team because they have pretty cards right this is how some people like uh, the brackets of but but at the end of the day you, you have that and, and people who play dfs kind of recognize that because the way you win in dfs right there, there's a couple ways you win in dfs one is you have more information in the market so you know that x player is going to play more minutes less minute less minutes or you believe in x player in a particular matchup right this mm -hmm. is the, the game what happens in basketball or you believe you have better information in terms of probability or game theory which is kind of what people call about People call this playing contrarian, but really what it means is like, let's say X slugger is going to be 40% owned, 
right? Or, oh, the, the, the top player on the slate is Mike Trout. Mike Trout's going to be owned 50%. Okay, great. But you're looking at the numbers and going like, well, he's going to be owned 50%, but my numbers are telling me he's only 20%. He's only 20% to be the top player on the slate, right? And I have these other guys who are like, well, they're 15 or 15%, but I can own these guys much cheaper. Mm. And they have, I can basically build like the, the whole money ball thing. I, I, can, I can build a Mike Trout from all these little smurfs that are going around, right? Mm. And at the end of the day, you have better leverage because you're buying, you're buying that player at a cheaper percentage relative to the public than you would. There's a great example about like how you would pick um, a guy. I forget. Uh, somebody shared it with me. I'm trying to remember, but it's like, it's about betting against your classroom and how like you want to, you want to take, you want to take the lower own bet if you're splitting the money, right? Which is what happens with the FS. You, oh, you get what I mean, right, James? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, right? I mean, I'm, I wrote the, with the book that I'm writing with Jordan Cooper, um, I, I wrote the, the leverage chapter. And I, I mean, all you're really trying to do is say, uh, it, it's it's market efficiency. And it's saying if if the market thinks that Mike Trout deserves to be 50% owned because he's going to be doing this, if people think that he's going to hit a home run, then you know there, there's other guys that are probably going to hit home runs that yeah. are not going to be 50% owned. And you should one generally the, try to pay well. Thing, one of the cooler things I was doing for, uh, for NFL season, uh, for cash games, I was ignoring projections completely. Oh yeah, I only cared about I only cared about ownership projections. I was optimizing around ownership projections. That's all I do for now. for like for cash for 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 cash. This was for cash games. I was like, no, I just want to make sure I get like I get a good. In essence, I wanted to make sure I got a good spread around what the public was actually buying for the particular game with a little bit of a spread. I mean, obviously there's some construction rules involved, but I was like, what I was trying to do is I was trying to get. I was assuming the market, the public market, was sharp. Right. And building my construction in such a way that I would get a kind of a kind of a mutual sh a mutual fund style play. Exactly. And actually worked pretty well. I ran it for something like uh, seven or eight weeks and it won like at 70 percent. So, I mean, I was like, no, this is pretty good. Right. Now, it didn't win everything, but you're not going to win everything. But like the whole point being that, like, you have to kind of understand the market you're playing. Right. Again, we, we get back to that. Who are you playing against? What's the market you're playing? So something like NBA, for example, right, which is we're in the middle of the season, like NBA is interesting because there's a lot of late breaking news, right? And the, the construction is driven by the pricing. So generally NBA is a game of if it, what's always going to happen is somebody's going to get hurt and then like guys are going to start and you're in essence buying, you're buying minutes. What you're looking for to do in NBA is you're, you're buying minutes and shot up MCG, right? Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. You're buying bench, you're buying bench players, getting starter minutes, right? And the problem is, back in the day, right? Uh, when I used to play with my old build partner, uh, hi Dre, I'll, I'll say hi. Uh, like we would track the late news and try to get lines on news to either like talk to the 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 what they call the away scouts, which are the guys like the, the gamblers know it. Like the away scouts are the guys who are like watching the plays. Or like the beat reporters were on the floor looking at that and trying to get that information. And this is, you know, like 10 years ago, this is like, you know, this was like edge, right? So we find out who the who the beat reporter was on the ground and figure out who was actually going out and taking the shots. And we would get an idea of what the rotation would be before the market. Nowadays, that stuff is out there. Like you, everybody knows, what, what's his name, Rod Beard? Everybody knows yeah. all these guys yeah. like who are the beat reporters on the floor. And literally like we have, we have I, I'm on a Slack channel where people like know the team doctors for like different teams. Yep. Like 
I know people who know the team doctors for the Warriors. Oh like, man, I know people is that guy still like, like? Is that is that <laughs> sub still talking to the to the Rockets doc? Yeah, um, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, like <laughs> people on there, but that's not the only. Yeah, but no, we again, you the, the the injury information is now kind of commonplace on there. Information symmetry. So in essence, there is no edge on that per se because everybody knows it. And then what you're trying to kind of make sure of is then you have to be a little finer and start thinking about okay, so you know how do I differentiate myself from everybody else? How do I stack? How do I build? Like it's it's a different challenge, right? And, and 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 it's all it's, as always we were talking about this. It's going to keep evolving, right? Um, and we've gotten like way into the weeds on on DFS and 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 gambling. But like like, what questions do you have for me, James? Well, you know, um, I think he answered everything, and we'll just end it now. No, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I just you are an exceptionally smart person, and uh, I have you know had a first hand at your work, and you and I have talked through. Uh, when when you were building the optimizers for Daily Roto, you and I talked back and forth on the ideas on that, and I, I had always wondered where you had actually come from that you developed this knowledge. And I and I think that one of the things about the industry that so many people, I I, I mean, we we talk to the DFS pros, people talk to Drew Dinkmeyer, people talk to um, you know Adam Shearer, people talk to Osmo, people talk to these guys without actually knowing what their background is and where they came from and why they know the things that they do. So I guess like the main question that I have for you is I, I will, we'll start small. I mean, we'll just start. Did you, you grew up in Puerto Rico, right? I grew up in Puerto Rico. Uh, I am the child of uh, my dad's, a, a, what they call a Peter Pan kid. He was a, a, uh, the kids left the boat uh, on this boat thing from uh from Cuba after Castro came to power. So uh, he took it like one of these boat rides to Miami. And then he was a refugee uh, when he was uh, 12, I believe. And then he came to Puerto Rico where his sister was and he went to college when he was 16. Uh, and so he was like, by the time he met my mom, which was, he was like 20, he was already graduated from, he was basically, he was like senior in college, basically. He was finishing up and then like he started his own business. And, and kind of had us and, and raised us. So yes, I was raised on the island, and like we, we you know, we brought our my grandfather up and the rest of the family afterwards, right after the revolution over to Puerto Rico. Uh, and I've lived here my whole life. I, I mean, well, technically I have. Then I, I went to college in the states. Uh, I went to. I'm an Ivy League person. I went to Harvard. And then I did my masters uh, in. Uh, so actually, between I, I, I had a bit of a, you know, I. I had fun. I used to play, I used to play like, uh, I did play, I did poker playing and, and sort of weird stuff. And then I, I came back here uh, to Puerto Rico, finished up my degree. Then I got into an internship program with Sandia National Labs, which is out in uh, New Mexico. And uh, I was working, I ended up working with a department that handled uh, nuclear weapons, uh, nuclear weapons stewardship. So my first, you want to guess what my first job out of college was? Yeah, it was uh, what? What? Take a guess. I, I know the answer to this one, so I'm not going to take an actual guess. But I know that it was in projecting forward some. Okay, pretty... so my first, my first job. So actually, when I when I started as a student, they they put me on this project that like. So uh, the backstory is, uh, it, our the nuclear many weapons manufacturing facility for the United States used to be in Pinellas, Florida, uh, and then they closed the facility in Pinellas, Florida, and moved everything to Albuquerque, New Mexico, National Labs there. 
Uh, and uh, when they moved stuff, a lot of people didn't move with it, so they had a bunch of equipment they didn't know how it worked, right? So they, they had all these weapons and things. And the manufacturing lines didn't work. Nobody knew how they worked. So like they, they brought different people in and started like, working, well, can you fix this? And I, like my first summer there, my boss went on vacation and he left me alone. And I remember clearly I spent two days doing my email and then I, I went, screw it. And I went and like, I ended up finishing up the project that we were working, mm -hmm. which I didn't know, but nobody had figured out for like five years. And it was like this, uh, let's see, uh, it's, a, it's a device that is used in the triggering for a first stage thermonuclear weapon. That is, I think, that, that is unclassified, I can say that. Um, and I, I ended up figuring out, it, it, I did a whole circuit diagram. I grabbed some of the union workers. We, we did some stuff and we did. And so they decided that they liked what I did and they decided to pay for my grad school. So they, they ended up paying for me to, uh, they finished all, they paid all my student loans. They paid for my grad school. And then they hired me as a, uh, the lead, I was the manufacturer engineer for nuclear weapons manufacturing. That was my first job. Uh, so that, what that entailed is they had this manufacturing production line, which is sitting kind of there. And nobody kind of, again, they couldn't get any product out. And when I started, uh, again, they weren't doing any production. When I left, they were doing, uh, God, they were doing, they were doing something like 100, 100 tubes per week. And what that kind of means is like, this is the, this is the stuff that goes inside the, 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 the warhead. Uh, sure. I, yeah. I have to be vague because I can't like be specific about what we're doing. I get it. Um, and then I, I, I left. They wanted to pay for me to go to uh, get a doctorate and stay there. But like my girlfriend at the time didn't like New Mexico. And we, so I decided to, I got a job in pharmaceutical and came back to Puerto Rico and to get married. And then I started with that. that that's, I started working first with Baxter, which is uh, blood, uh, blood work products. So like uh, blood bags and, and whatnot, medical devices. Mm -hmm. Then I started working with Johnson & Johnson on coronary heart stents, um, uh, medicated coronary heart stents. So I did a bunch of work getting those lines kind of in production. That facility was actually like making a, like the height when we got it to like work properly, it was making about a billion dollars a year in sales. It's making all the really the coronary medicated heart stents. And I worked on kind of the manufacturing side. Then I worked on helping um, get the medicine stable. There's a whole kind of involved chemical process. And I helped kind of figure out what the variables were. I'm, I'm good at like looking at variables, building a model and figuring out, hey, change that. That's, that's a bad idea. But the, the way to kind of think about that particular problem is like, I, I've been working in manufacturing. And so the way it would work is, is imagine like, imagine painting, right? In multiple mm -hmm. steps, right? And they were having problems. The paint wasn't being stable. And as I was going through the process, I noticed that, you know, one of the things they use in the room is thinner, right? Acetone, they, they had acetone because in between stages to clean up or clean up mistakes, they had acetone. So if you're painting something and the paint isn't stabilizing properly and you have acetone in the environment, <laughs> what do you think the problem could be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's- Well, I mean, again, this is my career. It's like, it's like me looking at a serious virus and like, well, you know what, maybe like, you know, okay, so let's make sure the acetone is over here. And like, look, actually the real trick was like, what you wanted was one, you want to separate the acetone, but like, you wanted to make sure the, the, the medicated stent did not spend a lot of time exposed to the air in the room because it had acetone, right? So you wanted to make sure that the stent moved as quickly as possible out the room. So instead of producing it in batches, so instead of going 60 cents at a time, you want to go like 10, right? Because if you go, instead of 600, you go 10 by 10. By going 10 by 10, you can get them out of the room way faster, right? So instead of being exposed to the air for like 48 hours, you can get it out of the room in like an hour. Right. Who was it that was on the uh, was on the 
physics team that did the airplane thing. I, I'm drawing a blank. Survivorship bias. The Warren. Oh, is that me? Uh, give me a little more detail. I'm lost. Here. He Wait. was. Uh, no, no, no. It was when it was when the, in World War II when the planes were coming back and they were trying to figure out how to better plate the planes. So they were like, oh, well, the ones that are coming back have all these bullet holes in the hole. We should reinforce the hole. And this guy was like. No, because these are the ones that are coming back. These are the ones that are surviving. We should put plating where we're not seeing any bullet holes. And that was on the wings. And when when you're looking at something outside of the scope right, of right. regular Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Like, people people don't, like... Like, one of the first projects I ever did, um, one of the... And it was actually one of the better ones. Like, this is, like, for efficiency projects. Is like, So we found that it would take the employees... So in essence, they're gowning up to get into a clean room. And that means I have to pull their old stuff up. And it would take them 40 minutes to get from, like, punching in to get into the room. And the reason was because the change room was was a mess, right? So there was no instruction on how, where they need to, you know, there's, there's six things they need to do. They need to put booties on and, like, a medical schmuck and, like, put some stuff on. And there was no instruction. Things weren't organized. And so we literally went in, looked at it, and in, like, 20 minutes had a relay out. And we went from, like, 45 minutes to get into the room to like 10. Yeah. Right. And it's just, and that half hours. Yeah. Just the little things or like, Oh, Oh, this is another project I did. What, when I was working, this was with Baxter, same thing. They, it would take them an hour to get into like the, you know, the, the lines would lay follow for an hour because everyone was going in and out. And the thing is that facility was in a mountain town. There was one street in that town. Right. And they had 2000 employees at the plant and they were all coming in. Like the shift change was all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. So one street in the town, like literally a mountain row with two lanes. And you have 500 employees coming in and 500 employees leaving at the same time. And it's kind of a no-shit situation. We're like, you see Yeah, so what what I said is like, no, just split everything into eight shifts, right? Just make, no, split everything into smaller shifts. So basically have a group that comes in at like one. Like one one group comes in at one and leaves at one. One group comes in at 115, one group leaves at 115. Just divide it up into like, in essence, instead of having the 500 people trying to go in, you split them up into groups of 50 people, mm-hmm. right? And you go, oh, 500 people in. And if you do that, then all of a sudden I solved the traffic problem for the town. Like, <laughs> and it go. seems simple, but you're like, well, then. it's like, no, it's it, it, just people don't think about it because you're just throwing everything out there. And it's a matter of like, yeah, just think about it. Kind of like, look at the, like, step away, look at the problem. Okay, what's what's happening, right? And actually talk to the people who are actually, generally, I, I always tell people, like, talk, talk to the people who are directly involved because they are looking, somebody who's sitting there looking at it for, like, like somebody whose job it is to sit there and look at it and do it will have opinions on this stuff, mm-hmm. right? We used to joke about this when I was in Baxter, which, like, they had two they had two female employees that were literally, like, employee number one and employee number two from Baxter that worked at that facility. Mm-hmm. And we would just, like, every time we, 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 they would send some crazy new product out, we would, like, just take it to them, right? <laughs> And the people in, in Chicago would go like, oh, that's brilliant. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, all we did was like, we took it to like the oldest. And like, yeah, these people have been on the manufacturing, you know, these two women have been on the manufacturing floor for like 35 years, right? Yeah, so, I mean, they, they knew what, like, they were subject matter experts. They knew what the hell they were doing, right? So it's, it's, it's we were talking a little bit about like, so I, I'm a little bit on a, on a forced retirement right now, but like, I always like to play, uh, even if it's small stakes, DFS, because it's good to be in kind of the mix. You talk to people, you see what's going on, you get a feel for the psychist, psychist, you talk to your customers because they're on the front lines and you want to figure out what the hell they're doing, what they need to do. Because that's the way you build better products, right? If you aren't really playing or you aren't really involved, then then you don't know what you need to build. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's one of the things. Because of you. That's one of the things that I think that so many people, when 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 you are able to, because people like Drew Dinkmeyer and people like Jeff El Jefe, those guys, they're they're not necessarily playing the same kind of game that the subs are playing a lot of the time. Like most subs are not playing those the nosebleed stakes. Most subs are not playing with 150 lineups. Most subs are playing with somewhere between one and five lineups. They're hand building or they're using an optimizer to try to figure out the best lineup. They're not necessarily. Uh, doing the same thing so you you kind of have to every once in a while drop down into that level and and take a look at the way things are happening and really talk with the ones that are experiencing the things that they're playing because otherwise if if you're building something that is supposed to do well in those super high dollar tournaments it doesn't necessarily translate to lower dollar tournaments yeah it's always i always find that and, and if you remember from the slack it's like drew and i would have massive disagreements on the slack Right, mm-hmm. it's like mommy and dad. Mommy and daddy are fighting in front of the customers. Like we we would have massive projection disagreements. Mm-hmm. And what I always like, I always kept a little running total. Like when he would say, "Oh, LMA is going to score X," and I'd say, "No, LMA is going to score Y." Bet on the middle, right? Yep. It was hilarious because every single time, actually, like it got to the point that I started like if I thought X and Drew thought Y, I would take X plus Y divided by two, and that's what I would play. <laughs> that's, that, and that's because. What we're doing. Yeah, one of, one of the things people like what you have to understand like and one of the things you have to be when you play efs is you have to be humble like you, you have to assume you're an idiot right and what i mean by like like just because you came up with it doesn't mean it's right and if you if you if you stick with your opinion past the point where it's like profitable that's when you lose yeah right and you even if your opinion was right six months ago right it may have been totally right six months ago but it's probably it could be wrong now because the market is more competitive, mm-hmm. right? Because the people who are, again so you're talking about you talked about, you mentioned survivor bias. The people who are currently on the market are smart. They've survived, right? They've thrived. They're smarter. They have better information. Right? You have to adjust your play accordingly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's and if you're not doing that, and if you're not willing to self-examine, if you're not willing to kind of do, then you then then this is not the game for you. It's the same thing with gambling. You have to kind of you know, keep track of what you're doing, understand your bankroll, understand your ROI, and, and play what it says, right? And if you, like, and if you, like, there is no, you know, what is it like, you know, the whole quitters never win, like, no, 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 quitters win, like, in, in DFS, quitters win, right? If you're not, if, if, you, if, if you're doing something and it doesn't work, quit, right? Yeah, literally stop I'm serious, like, thing. yeah. Yeah, this is this. You never people never get this advice. Like, you, and I get this because it's 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 a it's called a sunk cost fallacy, right? And uh, back when I was writing about basketball and like advising like NBA teams and whatnot, this is the thing we used to kind of harp on. It's like, no, you, like the fact that you drafted him doesn't mean like if even if you drafted Dante Exum, you shouldn't keep throwing money at him because he had a one good Nike sunk game, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's no, that's that is a wrong thing to do. It's the same thing happens in gambling. Sunk cost fallacy. Like just because, oh, I sunk all this time and energy. Yeah, but if you sunk, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't fucking work, right? Right. If you can't win money with it, then then you need to kind of rethink it. And and again, I I tell people like I've rethought my strategy for sports like many many times, right? So like for example, like MLB was we had the best MLB season we've ever had last season, and literally what we did was we set everything on fire. We legitimate like me and my build part. We just literally took our like what we were doing and said like. Nah, screw that. We're not going to do that anymore. And we, we took a completely different approach to the MLB season. And lo and behold, we cleaned up, right? It was, but again, you, you, and what we did was something we couldn't have done five years ago, right? Because the tools didn't exist for us to do it. 
the hard but part. You, but the point being is you're not the only person who has access to those tools that exist on you. Right. Like, and, and the hard part, I think, for a lot of people is understanding when is the right time to blow it up and set it all on fire and restart. And well, I don't know if there I is think, the right time to do it. I think one thing I, I'll, I'll tell people this, and I think as an illustration, right? So when we were building the Opto for Daily Roto, like, so when we were kind of laying out, so this is what I want to do. This is the model I want to do. This is how it wants. And so my background on that is like, so I, I work part of like my work when I worked for National Labs, I worked on kind of the modeling and kind of like solving very large mathematical problems, right? There's a whole slew of studies done. What are the optimal solution cases? But like they're literally like national lab papers on comparing different mathematical models and like different kind of solution scenarios and what is the optimal sort and uh, bubble sort, by the way. Uh, and like, what are the kind of optimal solutions to all these problems, right? So when we were laying out baseball, right? So we were laying out baseball and I'm like looking at this and talking to like uh, one of my, like my, my engineering uh, director, we're looking at going like, okay, so this is what I would like to do for baseball. Like do it out. It's like, and it is, this is, I want to do this, but it's physically impossible with the current, like, like the, with the computers that are out there on the cloud are not fast enough to do this. And like, I can't do the full solution space. And what I mean, and, and what I mean, but people like who don't who've never worked out the math for baseball. The math for baseball, it's it's something like uh, God, I forget the number. It's a uh, it's it's not billion, it's not trillion. It's it's the next one up. It's like quadrillion. There's yeah, there's like there's something like twenty six quadrillion possible uh, solutions to uh, in terms of lineups for an MLB slate, right? If you're talking about a thirty team slate, right? Yeah, full on slate. For us, like it is, it is literally legitimately to the point where like you need some crazy shit to happen. So we literally sat there and we get, well, I can't do this, but this is what I would like to do. That and like a year later, and myself and our design had actually figured out a mathematical construct that let us crunch that in a reasonable, like in a non-trivial amount of, like in a trivial amount of time relative. Like it's not gonna take us a year, but it's no, we can, can solve that. Like we've gotten progressively faster. And like, you know, now if you go on onto our tools, you can get a 30 by 30 slate. You can pick how many stacks you like and you pick that and shuffle it and put some random on it and do whatever you want and get like all sorts of work instructions. And it's within a reasonable amount of time. And this is like, this is a non-trivial mathematical problem. There's some, like there's some research, like I, I was looking up research papers from the national labs. I was working through mathematical constructs. There's linear solvers involved. We wrote our own unique IP, specifically related to how to solve like uh, like linear solution problems. There's all sorts of weird stuff going on, right? Or all sorts of like, of like, like I, I always I, I always joke that like American sci Americans uh, science will try to solve this stuff with brute force. The Russians didn't have brute force, so the Russians all solved this stuff through. They had to get elegant solutions. So, mm -hmm. like the most really, like the most of the really cool math stuff is the Russians because really they're working with like a wire and like a, a like some duct tape sure. to solve these problems. Yeah, right. So and it's hilarious. Like, and I joke, but like you know, our, our sorting algorithm is a Russian uh, math paper. Some of the uh, linear solver stuff, a lot of that is like again Russian mathematical papers, and you end up looking to all these like Eastern Europeans because again, they had no money. So they had no money and they had no tools. So they had to kind of figure out a way to do this. Like, well, how do I do this with like, you know, a, like, like a pen and a calculator? Okay. Um, and that's the kind of thing. But, it, but it, it's interesting because then you combine that with a computer and you get that. But the point I'm making is that the, the, 
what I'm able to, what I was able to do at the end of last season for MLB, right, would have been mind blowing five years ago. Exactly. Right. Right. I mean, there's, there's, there's absolutely no way I could have built a play like I was building this year for MLB with any amount of reason, like five years ago. Like I would have, I could have tried to handle it, but it wouldn't have been like the same because I was, you know, again, you're trying to do some, some, some very specific mathematical. But again, the point being that like I'm not the only person who can do that. So if you're still thinking about hand building or you're still thinking about kind of kind of the stuff you were doing like five years back or simple or I get to the, you have to kind of evolve your thinking, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise you can't keep up. Like, you, well, I mean, I'm not trying to discourage people. I'm saying like, you know, you, you just have to kind of like think about the play in a different way. Right. right. Well, and some of the best players I know are, are people who are like who are not sports fans, but they but they're game theory guys. Right. right? They they kind of they figure out. They figure out. We're like again. My first build partner used to be like used to win all these like. Um, they he would win these baseball tournaments by playing the weirdest possible lineup on purpose. He would throw like he'd get into like the, the dollar tournament, the three dollar tournament, and he'd play this weird play, this weird stack that he knew nobody else would play. And he was playing it specifically to be And Again, he can't really do that anymore because now you'll get like fifty people doing that. But he was doing it like you know six years ago, right? Right when he was the only person in the tournament that does it. Right, 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 and, and and this particular person, like he'll he'll know who I'm talking. He knows who he is, but he was a, a he was a um, he was working on AI for Google. That was his day job, right? And he was building like he was building like smart systems, like that kind of stuff. Like so, you know, again, a lot of the people who are, who fall into this, you know, he was also an ex poker player too. So you know, ex poker players, people who like work on like really high tech stuff, people who are like really good with numbers. You mentioned Drew. Drew was a trader, right? So like you know these people who know what the hell they're doing, mm-hmm. right? So you, you kind of have to, you know, put yourself in that mindset and always be kind of willing to understand that, like, you know, this may work before, but it's not necessarily going to work now because the market's smart, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, when, when, how long have you been in the DFS game? About uh, five years at this point. Okay, so how do the scores, the winning scores compare to for NBA now versus five years ago? Oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, okay, so in, in NBA... At the very least, you used to need to aim for two twenty to two thirty. If you wanted to catch, oh god, no. good lord, that 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 isn't getting anything done now. No, no, it's not. No, fuck. Now, now you literally have to aim. I I had to change all of my models to a new value formula. I I literally had to start from the ground up on a on a value formula because the the old value formula doesn't matter anymore. You're not aiming for five x. You're aiming for sex sex at this point. And on top well, of what? that, there, there's a different kind of mindset at this point. I, I mean, my mind, my mindset five years ago was if I can min cash, then I survived to play another day. That's not my mindset anymore. I mean, I think I think the point I'll, I'll make to this, right? So I keep evolving. So like to give an example, like last year for FanDuel, right? I was playing – last year I was playing like small smaller stakes. So last year for FanDuel, I won the quarter in the NBA, I believe, five times, right? Which, again, like people who played, like this is the quarter. The quarter is the tournament where, like, it is, it is the, it is basically like winning, like in terms of competition, it's like winning the main table at like the, you know, the World Series of poker, right? In terms of like, and again, if they hold, if they held it like a hundred times a year, but it's, it, you know, it's just so many people and so many options, right? That you, that, but like to get that one slate right, you have to get everything fucking perfect. Now. I was actually kind of mad this year because I took away the punt because I really like the punt because like people didn't get, people didn't understand how to use it. 
And like it was a real edge to a smarter player, right? Yeah, Jeff said the um, same thing. It, it was oh god, I love the punt because like again, you could you could set it up so that like you could set up a set of rules so like the punt is specifically in the lineup to take advantage of like uh, I remember one particular slate where we had uh, Jeremy Lin. We were using Jeremy Lin as the punt, and really we were kind of using him, assuming if the game goes into a blowout mode, mm-hmm. then Jeremy Lin's going to play and X is going to happen, right? Or you can manip- you can manipulate it very well to give yourself some flexibility in terms of what you were doing, and it was a really kind of interesting way to build, right? This year was a little, you know, it was different, and and again I said I only played about I only played about the first uh, two months this year. Again, I'm hoping the log gets cleared up and I can start playing. And I've actually played every time in the states, I've played. but um, you know, we like. You know, you like to have those little tweaks. You like to have those little rules. And you like to have things that, like, are not easily understood by the public because that's where your edge is, right? So if you, you know, I, you know I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll mention, you know, one of my coworkers, Colin Drew, right? So Colin Drew has an insane edge in terms of showdown stats, right? Because, you know, his brain just works in a way that he understands how to build um, for specific scenarios, circumstantially, right? Yeah. And it's better, and, it, and it's not, it's not projections, guys. It's he understands how to build to get he he in his I, again. I've seen what he does. Like I, you know, again, I, I I end up I end up troubleshooting sometimes, right? So like I've you know, he's I've I've seen his play, right? A couple times, like, like I see how he builds, and it, it's kind of really interesting. He's you know he's written a bunch of articles on it too. But he builds in a way to get a specific, he has an idea of here's the points I want to hit, right? So these are the stories that are going to happen or could happen to it for NFL and or for that particular game. And like he builds these particular spread and he just builds in a way that is that is sharper than the market at like hitting, right? And, you know, what I tell people is like, you know, look for it like, like, like in your head, right? You should, so, you know, you should be thinking about what can happen, how what needs to happen for me to win, right? Right, and I always tell people like it, it, NFL in particular, like like so I've I've had some runs with like in the millimaker and, and like or, or like some of the contests where we want like you always want to like in your head go okay, so how do I win, right? Mm-hmm. Like what needs to happen for this lineup to win, right? Um, you know how does this lineup win a million dollars, right? So what needs to happen? And then kind of does that scenario make sense? Like, so so in a way it's, it's you know, we call it scripting. You think about for NFL slate or NBA slate, oh, well, you know, this game gets close and it goes into open, right? Right. Or if, um, you know, if if Harden goes off, what also needs to happen if Harden goes off, right? If Harden goes off and they're playing this team, like, well, man, Westbrook probably doesn't go off. Or, you know, it's actually there's probably change, but like, let's say, let's say, oh, let's say, well, I think if Harden goes off, then somebody on the opposing team has to go off as well, right? Or if, like, if Giannis is a hit, well, if Giannis is a hit, that means he's playing 35 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, anybody, like, well, no, yeah, if, if Giannis is playing 35, and this is this is very counterintuitive, I'll give this away for free, but, like, typically when I stack Giannis, I stack Giannis in a buck. Yeah. I'm like, if, if I want Giannis, I want Giannis and one of the other buck starters, right? I want one of the other buck starters, and I probably want one of the other team starters. The reason being that, like, so the way the Bucks play, and the Warriors used to do this too, they would play the rotations. And if the game is a blowout, then Giannis has not played the last eight in the rotation. But none of the other starters do. Right. If the game is close, that means Giannis is playing those eight extra minutes, but so is Bledsoe and probably Brooke Lopez 
and uh, I forget who the uh, Middleton and whoever the fifth starter is that day is playing exclusive minutes. And that probably means the opposing team is also playing those minutes, which means all of a sudden those players are getting like a 30% boost. So if you believe in Giannis on a particular slate, generally, and again, this can vary by slate size and competition, but generally if you believe in Giannis and you want to play for him, then that probably means that like the winning lineup is going to have Giannis, a buck, and whoever they're playing. Right? It's the idea of, and, and you mentioned it perfectly in scripting, um, people are, are kind of people are kind of blinded by median projections at this point. People think that you need projections to win. Realistically, what you need is for your lineup to find its ceiling situation it, it's it's more circumstantial than just saying Giannis is projected for 55 fantasy points 55 fantasy points is fine but you really need 70 and how is he going to get to 70 well it probably means the game is close right. and if the game is close then you should probably have Giannis and at least one other person from the team and at least one other person from the other team because if the other team kept it close then somebody else on the other team is going off what people don't understand that the, the entire exercise of basketball is about like basketball DFS is about understanding rotations. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's the thing you need to understand. Right. And you have to understand how these rotations affect each other. And you have to understand how players play with each other, affect each other. Right. So another little trick I, I was always doing is like, I, if I was playing, if, I, if, I, if I'm playing Christoph Porzingis, I want Luka Doncic on the line. Mm-hmm. Because they were going off together. Because like having like, again, this is where we're playing together. Like when Porzingis was going off, a lot of it was coming from Luka Doncic assists, mm-hmm. right? So that that was like that value was consolidated together. And same similar thing happens in, in football. Like when you're thinking about this, like okay, how does X player go off, right? Or if X player, like if, if you know, typically do you want to play two running backs for the same team? Well, not unless it's a showdown stuff, right? Because like one of them has is going to get the goal line carries. Not generally, not both. Of them. Right. Or like, you know, again, you, you have to think about kind of you're not looking for a good score. You're looking for a great one. Right. And a great score implies certain things and you have to think about. Them, right. And I think that's kind of this is where people kind of get lost, like in the weeds on this. But you have to kind of in your head go like, OK, so and the other thing I always tell people is like when you when you're using these tools. Right. I always tell them, look at the last line. Not that, like, if you if, if I'm playing 150 lines, I don't care that much about the first one. Look at the bottom five, right? What do they look like? Do you like those lines? Are those lines you would play, right? So you examine your play, you're like, well, actually, I, I don't want the I don't want these two players together. We'll put a rule in place, right? Mm-hmm. Or take them out or adjust them. But like your your worst line, whatever the hell you build, well, your worst line should be something you want to play. Your worst predicted line should be something that, like, oh yeah, I'm playing this because I'm assuming this is hitting in this scenario. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? And, and I think, and, and again, the, and also it depends, on, I mean, depends on what you're playing, right? You know, also if you're playing like, are, are you playing something smaller? What's the field like? You know, understand kind of what the meta is for a particular. And I said meta and people won't understand that. But I mean, what the meta is like, you know, a lot of times like when you're playing cash games or you're playing like higher stakes, you, you want to understand what everybody else is playing, right? Because that, will have like that will have implications as to you what you want to play right if you're playing something like if you're playing like a high stakes like a million dollar one of these like live finals you know there is some value in taking a contrarian stance if you have more than one bullet out, right there's some real value in taking a contrarian stance but if you're playing something where you know if you're playing like a lower stakes tournament well maybe you don't you know you don't necessarily have to be that weird on it right it, 
it depends on like, you know, again, the tournament will kind of feed into what wins in the quarter won't win you in the $5 tournament won't win you in the $300. Exactly. Sometimes it will, but like, but you know, that, that's so oversimplification. Like generally the line, whatever line wins in the quarter generally for FanDuel is the line that's good. Like that line's going to be the highest scoring line across all platforms. Because there's so but, many permutations that you hit on the top lineup that's going to be used that day. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, you know, you might, you, you'll end up with something like a 410 or 420. Like, generally, like, that'll outscore everything on the site, right? But you'll see, like, what's interesting is, like, the low-stakes tournaments are tournaments where the better players will play the low-stakes tournaments because the low-stakes tournaments are a good way for you to get a feel for what's happening. And you can also see, you know, you also want to see, like, again, you know, if you're playing, you want to continue playing, it's good to play these tournaments to get an idea of what people are doing, Right. Because that's where, like, the weird stuff comes from there. And the weird stuff is the stuff that, like, six months from now takes over, right? I always, I always remember the article, again, I mentioned Colin Drew again, but Colin writes really good stuff about this stuff. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, I remember his, art, his article on scripting for NFL, which I believe is, uh, is two full NFL seasons ago. And I kind of, I kind of, I, I love that article, but I kind of hated it because it got everybody doing that same thing. Yep. Because back in the day, you could just, you could just, you could just game script your way to profitability in the NFL. It's very simple. People didn't do it. People would like build these lineups that like didn't. It's like they weren't logical, right? You know, it, it's you when you think about construction, you have to think about like would you would you use a pitcher against a hitter that's hitting against? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't. You typically wouldn't unless it's a very short slip. Would you like? You can't like. Would you use like Dame and uh, and CJ McCollum or something? Probably not. Probably not. I, I generally never never do because I assume that like if one's going off, the other isn't because there's only one ball, mm-hmm. right? So you you start thinking about like so you know, you know just think about construction as you're doing this, right? We've kind of gotten kind of like way into like DFS strategy, but like you know again I think the the trick on this is I think is like it's gonna keep evolving and you need to like as you play think about what works and think about the strategy and always like it, it's good to have a community, right? You know, wherever it is, wherever it's like, you know, you're building your own, your own site, your own community. We have our own site, our own community. Like, but it's good to have a place where you can go and talk to people. It is. And share ideas and see what people are doing. Even if it's just calling you crazy. But you can get an idea of what people are doing, what people are seeing, right? Because and, having these communities and having these spaces is how your game gets better. And, you know, you don't always need the, – the idea of community is that people are discussing the same thing. And somebody's going to come up with something weird. Like, uh, as much BS as we would always give Star in the Daily Rotor chat, he would come up with weird things that would make you think. And, and it would make you kind of question the things you've gone into and say, well, maybe he's right. I should look at that. Or if somebody well, actually, is right on something that is maybe something that you think is not the right way to go about it, maybe you're wrong. You, you said it earlier that you kind of have to treat yourself like an idiot sometimes. You have to assume that you're wrong. Well, what, what's hilarious is like, um, so during the NFL season, we had one particular customer on the on our Slack channel that is that was the most demanding cost, one of the most demanding customers we ever had. Like this dude was asking for stuff and checking stuff and he wanted more and he kept asking. And he like he was he was he was custom like to the point like where our, our our dev guy like literally like knew like they like exchanged phone numbers. He would ask some of his best text messages and stuff. And it's it's funny because that's the last guy we had that won a million dollars. Yep, he, he was our most fastidious, most annoying customer, kind of stretching the product to a limit. 
and he won a million dollars. I was like, and we were like, we, we all knew who he was. You're like, he won? And yeah, because like we knew because I, you know, I was troubleshooting his account all the damn time. Like he would he get stuck. And because he was again, the reason it was happening to him was because he was trying, he was trying some weird shit. Right. <laughs> Things that you never prepared shit, for. Things you never prepared right, for. Right. He was he was he was on the cutting edge and he won a million dollars. And in large part because he was on the cutting edge, right? And I think that's again, I you know. And everybody kind of like, you know, and we've had other people kind of do that and like, you know, who know what they're doing. We've had we've had guys who are like, you know, we're just guys who became like big time players because, you know, again, with the community, start focusing on it. They start talking through it and they came up with structures, right? Mm-hmm. And there isn't any one answer, right? I, I think that's one of the other things like like that, that that's hard for DFS players sometimes. Like like get like you have to get over yourself, right? I don't care if I came up. Right, I only care that it fucking works. Right, right? so so if, if you have a model and it's good and you're willing to share and you want to talk to me, then I'm willing to use it if I believe it's going to add to my whatever I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right, and and again at the top levels, I've known a lot of players and I work with a lot of players, and you know we've shared information, we've shared models, we've shared strategies, and I, you know I believe it's helped. Like you know I, I know a lot of people who want a lot of money, right, and I and I try to you know help people in the Slack and get people information and do that. And, you know, you know, how, whoever needs to. And I think the reason I do that is because one, you know, I, I like doing, I like the challenge, but also I, you know, again, it, it, it's going to help me as well. Right. And it's going to help you help other and, people. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think a lot of, I mean, I know some of the guys who, who, who are, who are, who are touts or, or sharps who are, they're guys I know who are DFS pros, like who are always working the Right. They're, they're, it's wrestling terminology. They're always working. They're, they're guys who are running the Twitter Twitter accounts, and they're always working. So if they give you a pick, there's there's an ulterior motive to the reason they're giving you a pick, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not they're not playing necessarily what they're saying. They're trying to move or manipulate things by doing so. Um, I'm not that person. Uh, generally, and this will get me into trouble sometimes in the Slack. You've seen like where I'll say I'm, I'm, I disagree with the like here's the, here's our cover boy. I'm not playing. Right. Right. We're like, oh, it's like, well, I mean, I have my reasons for not playing the cover boy today, and these are what they are. Maybe I'm wrong, but these are my reasons, right? Because if I'm playing and I'm, I'm disagreeing, I'm explaining what I'm doing, right? And I'm, this is not to go with the projections or like the guys do a great job on it, but like if I win by fading him, now I want people to say, oh, they're like, well, no, that was my logic, right? right? I explained it. I was transparent, and and again, there there reasons that sometimes I get talked off of that. No, no, you should. Okay, you're right. I should do that, right? Because, you know, having that dialogue, having that conversation is useful, right? And uh, I, I think, you know, they're, they're, one of the things I highlight for people is, like, you know, if you're going to do DFS full-time, one, you want to have these outlets, you want to have these sources of information. Two, you want to shut down the, the sources that are not good. Right. Right? Um, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll give some examples. Like, so when I first started playing NFL, uh, DFS, uh, I had a bunch of fantasy podcasts I used to listen to, like you know, general regular season fantasy, and I had to cut a lot of them out because they were basically manip- They were, you know, I was listening to them for another purpose, but they were warping my reason, right? And I found that they were making me make choices that were not the wisest choices for DFS. I was just right? going to mention that that I I had to do the exact same thing. I when I 
started taking things more seriously. I, I listened to podcasts. I listened to a lot of podcasts in the last during the first year, maybe year and a half that I played. And then I started to realize and I started to read a little bit more about psychology and game theory. And I started to realize that the influences from the sources that I was reading into and that I was listening to were either consciously or subconsciously affecting the decisions that I was making with my lineups. And if you want to become the best player you can be, you really have to be critical of the information that you take in from the communities. Right. You, you don't want to, you don't, it, it all affects you. Right. So you, you have to choose, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to, you know, I listen to, to our guys to do a daily world podcast. I'll listen to that podcast and because I, I trust these guys and I'll have my disagreements, but I understand what those are, mm-hmm. right? Or if you're reading, uh, if you're reading Silva, right, for example, you know, to show up, throw another game, but is that something that you respect and kind of kind of understand? Uh, I forget the name of the guy for the act. God, the guy for the action network is another guy I read. Uh, Matthew right Friedman. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, the guy was, uh, am I getting confused? Uh, I'm trying to like. I know you can. That's why I, I don't mind the quiet space. I'm trying to figure out how to name real quick. DFS. He's the guy who's always coming out in the, in the number one of the thoughts list. Oh, oh. Um, was it? Uh, I can't remember his name either. I'm sure you'll find it here in a sec. Not uh, corner. Sean ah, corner. yep, Sean Corner. Uh, fun story with Sean. Sean Corner, right? So. Back in the day, we were playing uh, high-stakes uh, cash games for MLB. And Sean used to post his uh, his pitchers. So Sean Corner would uh, post rankings for his pitchers, uh, DFS rankings for pitchers for every day. He used to post them on Twitter. Um, and it got to the point where basically the only pitchers that were betting, getting played in cash games were the ones he was, like, listing in the rankings. For right. And so eventually, I think I think somebody told him to stop doing it because it was legitimately like just people would just play his pictures. He's moving the line. Yeah, he he no, he was like legitimately people would wait until he would post. <laughs> Everybody would go like, and that's what they would go to on on uh, on uh, on DK. Actually, pitching is really interesting uh, for um, another little tip for people who are playing DFS for MLB. Something to keep in mind is, hey guys, the price point uh, on pitchers, particularly on DraftKings, moves every day. And what I mean by that is, so ten thousand dollars is not ten thousand dollars is not ten thousand. Ooh, I just I just wrote about this on my site. How you should never well, overpay then, for a lower tier pitcher just because it's a smaller. Well, slate. no, it's it's not. It goes even further, right? So the slate change changes and the players available in the situations change. So on a core slate, on a small core slate versus a, a ten game slate, ten thousand dollars is a different amount. You have to take into so in essence you have to in essence if you're really looking at this you have to say okay how many how many points on average am I buying for x amount of money at the hitting positions mm-hmm. versus what I'm getting at the pitching position now, that changes day to day on DraftKings pretty much does, it, does that make sense do you understand what I'm saying there yeah yeah it's it's dynamic so the, the, based on the situation the goods the goods that are available in the MLB marketplace on DraftKings on a slate change. So the relative price of pitching moves every day. And you have to kind of – you have to keep that – you can't just throw a value number out there. You have to kind of know – again, this is like a like – a, like, this is like a super game theory, like a super game theory. Um, 
that basically you, you have to kind of uh, adjust to that on a day-to-day basis and keep track of that. Like not all slates are created equal. No, they're not. And and that's one give me, of the things. Give me one second. My wife is my wife is calling me. So for sure. Tell her that like I'm 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 on a call. Yeah, she'll keep call she'll keep calling she'll keep calling until I answer. So I'm like, hey, yeah. I get it, dude. Yeah, you might as well. And I mean this keeps going, so I'm just gonna cut this part out. But anyway, continue with what you were saying. I think yeah, I mean, I, I think again, it, it isn't as big a deal for something like basketball, or that, but for MLB, the the underlying conditions of the price market have changed, right? So, and and that's something that like we, hell, you mentioned Derek Carter at the beginning. You know, I you know we we used to work and talk to Derek a lot more. And one of the things I would do is I would look at the bat and I would look at the bat. I would take the bat. And use the bat to adjust the pricing on the like. I would look at like what is what is the bat telling me? You know, again, you know, bat or whatever projection system you're using. What is the projection system telling me? Is I'm what am I paying for? Mm-hmm. Right. What is the what is the underlying? What is the expected value? How many points am I getting per dollar on the batting side? Right. Because really, you're spending on bats and arms, right? And you have to go. Okay, so how much money am I spending on this side? And how does that compare to what I'm paying on that side? Mm-hmm. In some slates, that can affect whether or not you want to pay for a high-end picture or not. Generally, in uh, and this is an argument I always make. Generally, in MLB, like you, you generally don't want to pay high high money for a picture. No, generally, but it will depend on what 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 the price point is for both sides, right? Yeah. And this is this is this is a more like and again I, the other the other thing to keep in mind is like you know there, there's oh, and the other thing another advanced baseball trick there's three points like what how many points what, what you know how many points and what the upside is Actually, four things you're looking for in baseball. you're looking what's the price point what's the projection what is the upside stolen bases and home runs and what the hell is the ownership right mm-hmm. because if you're getting similar potential or lower ownership lower ownership is a good lower ownership is generally a better deal always right? yeah but these are you know these are not simple questions right no, and it's a lot. It's a lot harder for for regular players to take those kinds of things into consideration all at once as well. It's why people like you and myself who build out these models have to take them into account for the subs. So I've had one, I, and to to talk to the users a little bit, so about something fun. So I said that this is um, this is a subset. Of, like so, basically, DF has a subset of gambling. So one of the things that I've actually been doing is. I've been building a bunch of super, uh, futures models, and like uh, I just did a futures model for the NBA uh, for us, and it's a uh, so in essence what it does is it simulates out the regular season, and then it simulates out all the playoff rules. It determines what the simulation is, you know, what the result is, and then like simulates out the playoffs, right? And and the way to kind of think about it is I kind of roll I roll the season fifty times. What I mean by that is like I take every team and I roll the dice to set what the characteristics are going to be for that team for the rest of the season based on the historical attributes, and then I simulate each each role. So then I come up with, oh, here's how, like, scenario one. Here's how the league looks in scenario one. Well, then I simulate that 50 times, right? So I end up doing 2,500 simulations, yeah. and then I throw some math at it to figure it out, and so, okay, so X team is qualifying, you know, the X team is winning the title, and then I also have to adjust the rosters and playoffs. It's, it's all- and what was really interesting about that exercise, right, what we found is, like, the books are, under, the books are being severely underrated by the betting Right, because by any scenario, we know this is DFS players. They're not playing their guys, so that means they can play more. 
and they're beating the shit out of good people when they're actually playing. Right? So, crap, they're actually being underrated. And they're also going to have you know home court advantage. Now, their coach is a bit of an idiot because he won't play. The, they, he didn't play these guys like long minutes before. But even if he doesn't, they still are underrated relative to what they're doing in terms of mm-hmm. performance because they're kind of flirting with winning 70 games and they're not really playing that hard, right? And they, if you really kind of look at the matchups from a point of view of looking at like their defense is kind of bad, like no great uh, for everybody else. Um, so the thing that was really interesting when we, when we were doing that is I ended up like, so I, I did a couple builds. I did one that was using my numbers, which is my numbers are geared towards kind of more recent things because there's a bit of a DFS element. I'm looking at the individual matchup. So when I'm doing like an NFL playoff model, like an NBA playoff model, I'm projecting the Celtics versus the Sixers. I'm looking at a couple of things. I'm looking how how, how have the Celtics played the entire season? How have the Celtics played against the Sixers? And how have the Celtics played against good teams? And how have they played in the last two months, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an element of a matchup because we're DFS players. Like I know that like, you know, matchup has some relevance to my results. Obviously, it's a smaller sample, but it's something that should be weighed into the consideration. And also, you know, matchup, play against better teams because some teams are bad and you're not going to see bad teams in the playoffs. And more recent play, too, because, like, you know, teams – I typically tune everything post-trade deadlines the last two or three months because, you know, the the actual current roster of the team is the most relevant sample to the build, right? Mm-hmm. So, so my stuff is very geared towards, okay, so how are the guys playing now, right? So that model loves the Bucks, likes the Celtics with uh, Jason Tatum getting better recently because it's actually been emerging into kind of getting close to top 10, top 15 by multiple metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it under it doesn't like the Lakers because the Lakers have been shit against good teams. Mm-hmm. Like any team that has decent defenses that just give them fits. And it doesn't like the Clippers as much because it looks at Paul George and Paul George is not going to play well. Right. right? So... But if I also did one version where I use Darko, Darko is this. Um, so there's a sick, there's a secret NBA stat slack that exists, like where all the big stat heads for the area you gotta talk and they come up with something. So that group kind of like between a bunch of those really, really sharp stat dudes, they came up with this thing called Darko, right? And Darko, you know, K Meddev was a guy who's actually like uh, Costas, and they built some really cool things. And Darko is a more of a model that looks at like the player's performance over using over the last, that's a rich regression over the last three seasons, right? With some for more recent, but that's a little more kind of, it's looking at a little along the window. Right. They've got two versions. They got one that's a little more tuned for three years, one that's tuned for one. Darko likes the Lakers, but likes the Heat because it likes uh, Iguodala. It likes the Clippers more because it likes PG more. Uh, and it's it's about where I am on the on the Bucks and the Lakers, but it is bigger on the teams on these teams that have like these players that are coming in or been injured because it kind of looks at the longer term performance, mm-hmm. right? Whereas and he's got like another version which is like box score Darko, which is like that one loves the Lakers more because that one is the least adjusted version of all the models, and that is a model that doesn't like that 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 one that's that that dark, that box score Darko matches the betting markets, right? But box score Darko, what's really interesting, it matches the betting market because it does no adjustments for minutes. It does no adjustments for defense. Right. right? So it's like the general public. It, it's like it loves the Lakers because it's not adjusting for matchup or defense. Mm-hmm. Right. So what's the lesson, right? So the lesson is that, like, when you're doing these model builds, like, every any model that you build is always going to be flawed because it's a model. Right. There's always going to be missing what you want to understand is what are the limitations of the model, right? And where is it good and where is it bad? Right. 
the great like I was I was part of the great NBA model wars way back in the day. I was a big uh, uh, Wages of Wings guy. I like uh, you know uh, Wins produced for forty eight and Wind shares. You know, thanks for like Dave Barry who was a mentor and like Dean Oliver who like took the time to talk to me. A bunch of these guys like helped me, right? And each model was slightly different. Like Day's model, which was like Wins produced, like was very it, it kind of like rebounds, but rebounds were standing for tall people. And it had limitations around like, you know, certain roster constructions, defense was kind of kind of grouped together with certain things. But it was generally good for identifying good players. Like, it had some flaws, but it was good for them. Right. Um, same thing with like win scores, which is Dean Oliver's model. That's the one that's on uh, basketball reference. That one is is it, like kind of emphasizes shot creation, right? But that has flaws because Dean kind of made some stuff up of like usage curves. But again, it's like if you combine this stuff, generally you'll get general agreement on LeBron is good. Giannis is really good, right? So it's it's you get in the weeds, but you kind of identify when you get in the weeds. Like so, you'll 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 like wins produced with Justin taking out like individual defense will underrate sometimes somebody like KG, even though he thinks he's a good player, but he won't, they won't account for his full defensive right, right? Things like that. But again, the, the the point is each model has its own flaws, and you have to understand it. So if I'm building a playoff model, I have to understand well these are like three or four ways to look at it, and if I look at this, right, I may not be looking at that. Right. So, and you probably have seen this, like the ideal situation is a situation where you're doing consolidated models, right? Mm-hmm. So something I did, for example, for like the NCAA, which actually was really good. We did projections for the NCAA and I used kind of a, a market model. So I looked at all the publicly available models that did, and I did a construct that was basically kind of like a model college, right? And it looked at them and it, you assigned each one a particular vote and said, okay, based on this, like the recommendation based on these models, right? Of all the models on kind of like the market is X, right? And you build something that like does that. But again, each model has its own flaws, right? But you can rate them over time and kind of come up with kind of like. So anything that you build, you want to like tracking, getting back to like similar topics, like anything that you do or any method that you use to try to beat the market, right? Try to beat the, the betting markets. You should track and understand where it's good and where it's bad, right? And I the think- more you can quantify. Sorry, yeah, go, um, I, I was just going to say, I, I think that consolidating models, um, it, it's a smart idea to understand. It, it's one of the reasons why people should be more um, transparent with their models so that the people who are using those models can understand the shortcomings of a model so they can go try to compensate for it with something else. I, I think that people get smarter by combining different models. So I just wanted to say that. I, I think, well, again, again, this is why like the, the communities are important for DFS, I think, and for gambling as well, I think. You know, one of the things we did with our kind of like setup for Daily Roto is like we talk, we spend a lot of time talking to our customers mm-hmm. on public channels, on private channels. I think most of our traffic actually takes place on our Slack. We've done the analysis on private channels where people are just kind of talking to us. And we answer questions, right? Because one, we want to make our models better, but also I think we want to be transparent about what we do, right? And if we don't do that, then we're not getting proper feedback and we're not kind of growing our model year to year. So if we know... Hey, we have a weakness. Um, you know, we had a weakness in terms of like initial minutes production. Well, we went out and you know, super secret secret Slack NBA, like kind of like we talked to some of those guys and they helped us. Some of those guys come up with some automated minutes stuff that we actually use as a baseline. Now we still do our adjustments, but we have a much better baseline to start, right? Or if we think that hey, maybe we're weak on projecting rookies, well, let's actually like take some steps to actually like put in some controls to make sure that we do better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, here's some tools like, you know, hey, Ricky, here's some tools you can actually use to make this better. And here's some references you can actually use because I'm noticing that this particular player is always off. 
And I was actually thinking about the Knicks when I said that. So I think it's like yeah, the Knicks got <laughs> sorry. But like the point being that, like, you know, again, the whole point is well, you have to be humble in this market. Right? And you 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 have to understand that any exit you have is likely like if if you're not willing to evolve and grow, then your edge is going to disappear. Right? Absolutely. And you, you so I think you have a question, which is is there still edge to be had in the industry? There's always edge to be had in the industry, right? Um, again, but you have to kind of understand, you know, where it is and what it is. And I think the other thing that's actually what we can do is like, well, I've seen some of our users do is like, well, they'll, they'll, they'll migrate to another sport, right? Uh, they'll, they'll try and I mentioned this, like, oh, this won't work in NBA, but it'll probably work in NCAA basketball, mm-hmm. or it might work in this tournament, or it might work in this format. Let's try that, right? And or oh, this worked in baseball. Let's try this in let's try this in NBA, right? I think that's that's one of the things you have to do. It's like you have to be willing to evolve. Maybe it's League of Legends. That's like I know you're trying that, and we've done some 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 stuff uh, there too. But again, the whole t- the whole trick is is understand the market, understand kind of that. It's all kind of it is a game theory game, mm-hmm. right? And this is where people kind of get screwed up. Like projections projections are a reference, but at the end of the day, you are building to beat your opponent. And you are, you're in essence playing a game against your opponent. And you have to kind of understand the what is the player on the other side. Uh, that is, uh, I believe it's Ellery Queen, right? It's the player on the other side, or I forget if it's Ellery Queen or Sherlock Holmes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, referring to Moriarty. You have to understand the player on the other side, right? And he, you know, and, and you have to give respect to the player on the other side. And you have to understand that if you beat the player on the other side, the player on the on the other side is only going to get smarter, right? right. And, and if you don't if you don't level up, right? Let's talk about like let's talk to the younger folks. If you don't grind them to continue to level up, then you're not going to continue to have that edge, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what you have to work at, right? And and I think that's like you know the stronger you can be, make your baseline, the stronger you can make a community. Then you know if even if you don't notice that something's an error, you can actually get somebody who actually points this out, mm-hmm. right? I, I remember clearly last last season there got to a point when I was playing NBA where I was doing really shitty for about a month there. And I actually like I tracked down one player I really respected and I said, Hey, I'm I'm having trouble. Um, but what are you doing? I like and like, talk to me. And I spent like a couple of days talking to him and uh, brilliant guy. Uh, another guy who's won a million dollars, uh who I, I reached out and just talked to him and he talked me through and he kind of like helped me kind of clarify some things that I was doing wrong. And, uh, you know, after that, I, you know, the last, last two months of the NBA season last year were just like gold mm-hmm. because, you know, I had a couple of things that are just off. Right. And you have to kind of understand the difference between short-term variability and kind of our narrative process. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the key for betting. And this is the key for the event. Right. And, 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 and that's why I keep saying it's like, humble. And, and, and again, I've made these tweaks many times. Right. But, but don't, like, what you can't do is you can't just assume that your luck's going to turn around if you do nothing. Right. Right? You can't blame like, it all on it, It's like, yeah, like, I know people, like, people, like, are taught to persevere and keep going, like, no, man, this is better than DSD. Don't persevere. Don't keep going. Examine your fucking process. Mm-hmm. Backtest. Check. Right? Oh, I'm doing X play. Okay, great. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've gone like, okay, I'm doing X. Let's tweak this. What, do I, what would have happened if I'd done this differently? Right. Let me test the last 20 slides and see what the difference was. Right? You have, to, you have to be able to do that. You have to be able to analyze that. Process. 
And you have to understand that, like, hey, you know, maybe I'm, I, maybe I was being an idiot, but don't keep throwing good money after them. Right. right? And this is, again, I, I think to, to bring it back a little bit to my background. Uh, so, you know, I worked in manufacturing, I worked in pharmaceuticals, and I, at the end of the day, I had to get product out the door, right? It didn't fucking matter. It didn't matter. I just had to get the product out the door, right? So I, I don't have time to, if it doesn't work, I can't keep doing it. Right. Because if I keep, if I keep doing what doesn't work, then the product doesn't go, right? Or like we don't pass the test. So let's try something different and see what works. And like, let's prove that it works, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the lesson you kind of have to learn in real life when you're doing these models and you're doing these things is that, you know, if it's not predictive, then what the hell are you doing it? Right. right? And, and if underlying conditions change, then you need to adjust accordingly. And I think that's, that's what makes the really great players is that. I mean, that and like, you know, having kind of like the best, best, best players have like an innate understanding of game, right? The, they have that, that Sherlock Holmes Moriarty brain where they just like look at stuff and like, I, I sometimes I'm like kind of, you know, I, I work hard on this stuff. I, I know some people that just like can look at the stuff and just immediately come up with a game theory. Yep. Right. Uh, and which is just like, it's like, how the hell did you do that? I like, again, my first build partner, like, we really, like, we were really jealous of him. Like you can get that, you could give him 10,000 lines and he would come up with, with, you would take the 10,000 lines and come up with the 50 best, line, just grab the 50 best lines somehow. Right. And Cause he just knew. He just knew. And like, well, a lot of the stuff I've done is like, how do I rep? I, a lot of the stuff I've done is how do I replicate what he would in, like, he would intuitively know how to pick these 50 lines. And I've tried to like mathematically replicate it. Mm-hmm. How do I get it to like do the same thing? Like if somebody wants a hint of that, who that person is, the model, like I used to call the model to imitate what he was doing link. Yep. Right? That's a hint of who that person was. Um, but yeah, he was like just infuriating. He was just like, you, you, like somehow 10,000 lines, he would wind up with 10 best. Like, How the hell did you do that? There but, are some people know, that just people... have that pattern recognition. And there are some people yeah, that just that... develop that and, and can apply it perfectly. And like you just said, you develop models trying to imitate that. That's, that's all that you're trying I... to do. I throw ma- I throw math at trying to like try try to create that like it's there's a whole fascinating discussion about like when you're building this stuff and you're doing medium projections and people are kind of focused on that but at the end of the day it's like the way to think about it there's a bell curve and what you're trying to do is I don't want the middle of the bell curve right I want the extremes only Ricky Bobby baby Ricky yep. Bobby GPP is about being last. Ricky Bobby you're either first or you're last like the ideal like the ideal monster play, the ideal GPP high-level play is a play where you have lines close to first and close to last. Right? That means you did your job properly yep. when you did your play. Yep. Because it is a GPP play. You're trying to get the extremes. You are trying to create variation. Right? You're not trying to hit the cash line. You're trying to hit the extremes. And sometimes that means some lines are going to fucking suck. Right? I, it's, I, it's I I would argue that most lines are probably going to suck with that kind of a way. To but see, but I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I actually, I used to, I, I, I told this to my build partner, I could build a very safe set of, I could build a, a an NBA play for GPP that would average something like a 5% payoff. Fairly safe. I could do that. But that's boring. Who the fuck wants to do that? Right. And you won't survive with that. No, I mean, I, no, I, I, I've, I've done it. I've, I've run like 5, 10%. But it'll, it'll never get into the top 50 of like of, of a term, mm-hmm. of a big term. It won't. It just, it just won't. It's a more safe play. And I can build it. But that's kind of like, no, that's, that's no, that's not what I want. Like you, you build like now, if you're building something that's going to get in the top one, like consistently get into that top 100, 
you're going to have days where you're going to lose your fucking trip. And you're going right? to be in the bottom 100. Yeah, you, it's just going to ha- you, you have to understand you hit more than you lose, right? I always used to, like, the line for, like, when I, when I, when I played the Millie Maker and I ran the Millie Maker and I ran these big tournaments for NFL is you want to be a coin toss away, mm-hmm. right? My best, I'm like, my best ever, like, Millie run, we ended up finishing something like, I was, I was rolling, broke the summer, we finished something like 14. I remember clear, I was in the movie theater, I came out, and it, um, I remember the movie, I was watching Thor Ragnarok with my wife. Uh, in the movie theater. And we went, and the, the trick was we had Carson Wentz and Carson Wentz got hurt, right? And we were charging and he got hurt, right? And it came down to that. It, he got hurt for the last sequence of plays. We just did not have enough juice to end, right? Mm-hmm. But am I, am I mad at the process that put me in that position? No. That was the correct process, right? You were down to a coin flip, right? Mm-hmm. For these TPPs, a lot of the time you're going to be down to a coin flip. If you can consistently point to one decision, one decision that kept me from winning, that means your process is correct, right? Or close. That's what yep. you want, right? Yeah. And, I mean, and sometimes, you know, okay. sometimes you're going to hit, sometimes you're not. And it, you just, just want to make sure that your process is such that you are a coin flip away when you do these things. The, right? the way that I usually like to think about that with the upside of a lineup, if you have a lineup in the $15 tournament, your downside is that you lose $15. What do you want your upside to be? Do you want your upside to be that you're placing somewhere between the 25th and 75th percentile? Or do you want your upside to be top 10 in the tournament? Yeah, I think people, people, one of the things that like anybody who's doing betting or anybody who's doing gambling should like understand bankroll management. They should understand what Kelly is. They should understand what half Kelly is. They should understand kind of how much are you willing to risk? How much are you willing to play? Right. Mm -hmm. So I, the way I've, like the way I've done my process, I always tell people, it's like, I've only ever deposited money out of my own pocket on FanDuel once, right? Mm-hmm. I did initial deposit, and after that, it's all been monopoly money. And, because you know, periodically what I'll do is I'll take some winnings out, I'll, I'll buy my wife some furniture, I'll, you know, I, I, I use what I make for DFS to pay for my streaming services and whatnot, you know, and it's all one thing. Like, I... I but but I understand because when I play, I understand very clearly what I'm playing, right? And I and I and I try to keep it to a certain amount. I know what I can I know what I can win. I know what I can lose. Mm-hmm. I know how much I want to risk and what my stakes are, right? And you know I, you know, I, I'm here for a good time. Not a, what what is it? I, I'm here. Uh, I'm not here for uh, for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Exactly. Right? Yep. And, and again, you you, you want to build it that way, and you want to kind of, but you want to understand kind of like don't 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 pay a mortgage guy. Right, you know, you just understand understand what you're doing and understand what you're playing, and and have a clear kind of picture of what you can and what you can't afford. Mm-hmm. Right, it's, that's probably the best advice you can give somebody is understanding your your own play and breaking down your own play and not playing yeah, outside your means. And there are services that help you track whether or not you're going to do it at something or not. And if you're not, if you're bad at something, don't do it. Right, or change it. And if you're good at something, do it, right? There are some people who are really bad at some sports and really good at some others. Like mm-hmm. that's, you have to kind of adjust your play accordingly. You, sometimes you have a basic understanding of how to do something. Do that, right? Focus on your strengths, right? Don't, you know, don't just play to play, right? If you just play to play, then you're chasing good money after bad and you need some help, right? Yep. And, and again, I think that's, that's why we talk about a community. That's how we talk about kind of how you do this, right? 
And I think, um, you know, I think you've got some questions around like whether or not, what's the future of the industry? And the future of the industry, again, it's a segment of the gambling population of the gambling. And the future is in, you know, you want to keep growing this point, right? As with anything with betting, the more people you have in, the better off you're going to be. Nothing makes me happier than something that is extremely public because there's money to be fucking made. CLA tournament. Uh, kind of expanding it and getting a bigger base in is what you want, right? So, you know, and I think we get caught up in all these stupid things like the, the whole Christian Dolan thing and, like, you know, you, you have to kind of have some common sense around some of this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, don't impose, un- like, don't impose unimpose, un- unenforceable uh, rules of play. I think it's one thing that's actually kind of important. Understand what people are kind of doing. And yeah, put some stuff in there and that, but you got to understand that like you, you, you kind of have to kind of, you know, at the end of the day, it's gambling, you're competing, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you want to set up like, you know, I, I used to remember people used to get mad, like, oh, people are using tools to build lineups. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm using tools. What the hell are you talking about? Like people just want everything to be hand-built. I'm like, no, that's stupid. Like, you know, back in the day, um, oh, everything has to be hand-entered, right? Fucker, fucker, I knew how to use the Google Console, right? You can't, mm-hmm. like, I knew how to write a script that could enter 150 lines through Google Console, which is in essence the same thing as entering. It just it was just a smarter way for me to do it from an engineer. Right. I could write it like there was a there was a series of commands you could feed into the Google uh develop the, the Google development app that would replicate the series of clicks you would have to do the hand enter line. Right. Is that cheating? Right. I came up like you know, I, I was building the lines, I was picking my 150 lines. And I had a script that I knew was the equivalent of the mouse clicks that you would have to do to enter these lines. Right. Is that cheating? I mean, no. What do you think? Is that cheating? Technically, there are people who say that's cheating, but I'm like, but fucker, it's like, it's like you you can't, you know. How, how do you how, you know? I have a better way of getting these lines together and data entering them. How are you stopping me from refining the process, right? Right. Unless I'm, they explicitly I'm, put in a rule that says you can't do that. Well, but then I, but, but again, how, how are you, st- yeah, okay, but how are you stopping me from figuring out a faster way? What if I use, what if I use a, what if I use a, a script recorder? I use like an automated like service that does like automated clicks for that. Mm-hmm. Or like, again, they're, you, which again, I think the sites on that particular one, which is like automated dead entry, the sites got smarter. So yeah, here's a CSV, right? Mm-hmm. I remember I've, I've entered 500 lines by hand for a, uh, for, that's, I think that's the most unique lines I ever did that's for, so uh, for MLB. And uh, the, the way I did it, I had like touch screens. I had like basically two computer, like two touch screens and uh, an Excel sheet that would automatically like get the clicks on that. But I was still using the Google console. Like, I mean, I, I could still do that, but the, 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 the easiest way like for, to get the line on a script that you could simulate to do that, right? But I mean, I have done the, the, the 250 with like the click by hand, right? But that's, that's not a way to like to grow the sport. Right? No, you have to kind of like think about how, again. At the end of the day, you, the more the more you're gonna get more customers playing, right? By making it easier for them to play, not harder, right? right. You have to lower the barriers. And I think the other thing was like the whole controversy about oh, everybody's playing the same fucking line. What? I want people playing the same fucking line. Right. Right. It's easier to beat. Are you? If I could get everybody playing the same fucking line, that's ideal, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're, if, if you, like, people were saying they have no clue what they're saying, because if everybody plays the same fucking line, then it's easy for you to build a contrarian lineup, right? And if you actually want to win, the more people are playing the same stupid line, right? 
Now, some days it's going to be like some days talk is talking. You're not going to beat Joel. No. Don't get crazy. But the days talk isn't good. If you're playing contrary, you're going to win a shit ton of money. Right. right? So, like, I mean, a lot of the stuff kind of just reveals a lot of people don't know what the hell, which is good. I mean, that's you ask the question, is there always going to be a yes? Because people are idiots. Yeah. Right? And, I, and I mean, not you, listener. You're not an idiot. You're listening to this. You're not an idiot. But like, but you know what I mean? I mean, like, if, if people just like come up with like these these things, where I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're focusing on the wrong thing, right? Oh, everybody's playing the same cash line. Well, yeah, of course, it's fucking obvious. Like, if you're playing NBA, right, and like on an NBA slate where there are like like five key injuries to starters, the chalk is going to be fucking obvious, right? It's not hard. It's going to become it's going to come down to a one v one or a two v or two v two. Well, fuck, of course it is, right? Yeah, and that's what happens. Like, there's going to be an obvious play, and sometimes that chalk is just going to fucking hit. Now, you can take a stand against that chalk in one play, but you have to be really careful about how you do that because there is a that is, there's a cost to going against chalk. Like, if 70% of all players have Anthony Davis in the lineup, then, like, you're better off probably having Anthony Davis, right? And differentiating elsewhere. Even if somebody's going to do better than him, but, like, yeah, but, like, but if he does well, then you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not beating 30% of those lineups. Um, so... Of course, the cash play line. Now, when you go to the DBPs, it's a whole different story. And yeah, sometimes like the optimized lineup will hit. Like we lineup one for for Daily Roto has won uh, DBPs before. It happens, right? Because everybody hits on the projection. That's a chalk play. And chalk plays, you know, happens in baseball too. Of course, they hits chalk. Well, of course, they hit chalk. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, life's right? hard. Life's hard. You know, life's hard, and then you die. But you, again, you're not going to win every slate. And people get like, yeah, sometimes the obvious is obvious. I mean, you can't. You can't get mad about that, right? It's just a matter. It's just a play of the game. That's just the way it is, mm-hmm. right? And it's not people cheating. It's just sometimes chalk is chalk. And and, and I always tell people, like, again, for people who aren't, like, I'm assuming anybody who's listening to this knows the terminology, but, like, you know, there's a reason chalk is chalk, right? And sometimes people get too fucking cute to try to play the chalk, right? Mm-hmm. I, have, I have no problem eating the chalk and the chalk is good, right? Again, the trick is... The, how to tweak it enough to get to a place where your lineup is good, right? And then we're getting a little bit into the into the like something like 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 showdown. Where like the trick is always going to be is like yes, you're, it's going to be chalk, but how do you get like something that makes it different so you have a unique lineup, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's that's kind of the thing. So I think like a lot of these controversies kind of real. It's always going to be edge, right? Because people are always going to have their biases and they're always going to have their issues. Now. Again, the assumption is it's. I always remember the story. Have, have you heard the story about like if a monkey, like if five monkeys, I think it's if five monkeys learn something, all the monkeys know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same thing. Like over time, like you know, if, if five if five DFS players know something, all the DFS players know something, and it, it's kind of the same thing. So that those biases are going to evolve over time. And I think the whole, you know, again, it's it's like, do I have better tools? Do I have a better understanding of the game and better projections? Or do I have a better understanding of the biases of the public? And am I, am I a better player on the other side? Right? And that's always the goal. Am I, am I, and, and again, that's going to change and move over time. And I think that, again, there's always going to be edge. And if there is an edge in a particular sport, there's a million sports, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Go for esports. You know, I like go for esports, go for prop bets, go for, uh, you know, they're. They're, they're just going to be different. Go for futures, right? There's always going to be another market to come along, and there's always going to be kind of edges to be found. You just can't 
what you can't do is you can't keep trying the same thing over and over again if it doesn't work. Right. I, that, I think that's the key, right? Which also like, so the question is what they do. Oh, you asked me what question is like, whether I'm season one or fantasy. You know, I basically kind of abandoned all my season one. I just don't have time. I don't have the time or the interest for it, actually. Dude, I abandoned it like, as who? soon as best ball came out. And I stopped having to do waiver wire stuff. I was happy, but even then, I like I would draft from the beginning, and I'm just I, I just don't I don't have the time to care about a season long lineup. So, so two seasons ago, which was the last season we did a big season long thing for Roto Experts for Daily Roto, was probably my best. It was my best, the best I ever was at season mm-hmm. because I was kind of in depth, I was in tune, and I knew what the hell was happening. This season, I just – because I just wasn't there. I was playing regular – I was playing cash games for, for, for DFS, and I was playing GPP, and I was winning money. So I was like, you know, what do I care about 150 But Like, yeah, sure, I, I spent $50 on this particular season long league, or do I care about here where I might win a foul? Right, I'm like, right. Ah, whatever. I, was, I, I was like, my wife's like, oh, you know, okay. I was like, no, I made all the money I lost there. Like, I made it back in like one week. It's like, I don't care. Yep. Shit. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really focused on it. I'm focused on like other things. So, I mean, I, I, I still play the leagues that are friends, but I can't see myself starting. You know, I'm actually like one of the leagues that I've been playing. There's one league I've been playing for 15 years that I'm actually considering whether I want to drop from. Like, at this point, do I like just? I, I might stick around just because of the people, but it's just, it's just too much of a hassle. Yeah. It's like who has? It's just, it's just something that isn't like season long as a format is not something that's fun or something that you're. Best ball is easier. DFS is easy. Like not that easy. It's more interesting, right? And I'm not like if I'm not thinking about it, then if you want to be a good season long player, you have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't really have the time or the inclination to do that. Anymore. It's such a grind. Um, but yeah, I think we've covered a lot of things. What what else would you like to know? I think that the one last thing that I wanted to know was where you think DFS is going to be in like three years. If you think that sports betting is going to overtake it, or if you think that daily fantasy sports is going to still be around, like how's it going to look like, what do you think the future of the fantasy industry? Well, I think, well, I mean, I think here's the thing. I think you, I think your, 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 your baseline hypothesis is wrong. Do I think betting is going to overtake it? I think it already has overtaken it. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think DraftKings or FanDuel care like their core business, the two big DFS providers, their core business is a sports book, right? Like functionally, FanDuel and DraftKings are in the process of being the market leaders for sports betting, right? right? That is a much huger market. Their product, you know, they one thing they did very smartly, they've done something very dumbly, but the one thing they've done very smartly is they have a product that is superior to the product that is out there on the betting market because they took all the stuff they learned from the DFS site, which is a pain in the ass, and they basically went and built a kick-ass betting product. Their live product is amazing, right? Um, and that's the reason their live product is amazing for both those sites is because really they were doing a live product, uh, betting product, like, you know, they've been doing live betting products for like, what, a decade? Mm-hmm. And so when they jumped into the full betting market, they already had all the know-how, how to get all the stuff running, how to do this, how to handle all the customers, because they kind of already been doing it. So they have a set of skills that were already on place. And the volume they're handling is kind of the same, right? So their volume is complete. So again, we're in essence becoming a smaller segment within the market. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think what people have to kind of understand in the industry is that kind of the focus is going to shift away from it. And I think it's important that people kind of get that we want to grow the market, mm-hmm. right? So in essence, we're a specialty betting product. 
right? And 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 we want to make the barriers for getting into it easier. I think the future for fantasy sports is showdown, right? Showdown slates, single slates are the thing. Those are the things that like sell, and those things tie into well with kind of the media partnerships, right? So, I mean, if I'm FanDuel or I'm DraftKings or I'm like kind of like, I'm thinking about, ooh, how do I get like showdown slates for XFL, right? How do I get things that are tied into the sport? How do I things that are easy to use on the phone? Um, those are the things I kind of want to get into. I want to get into partnership sports and I want to make it as easy as possible for like the regular users to kind of get into that. So I think, you know, you might see things like tiers, which have been kind of on the, on the fringe kind of become more interesting because it's going to become more like, um, you know, I think they're going to look for simplified versions of the game. Right. Um, and I think people complain about this, but one of the things that draws of something like showdown is the volatility, mm-hmm. right? And 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 you know, I think you know, there's there's a limit. I think that something like the BK form, like FanDuel, the volatility is good, but FanDuel does it wrong because they make it so like so. I used to play, uh, I stopped playing showdown on FanDuel because even though I could get the number one, number two, number three, and number four lineup fairly easily, that wasn't guaranteed to win the mm-hmm. because of the the because there wasn't enough variation at the top because of the lack of an additional player. So you have to make it more like the drafting where like there's enough variation so that you can actually win money and you want to have the volatility in place because it makes it more exciting for you. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, I think that and kind of figuring out a way to lower the entry barriers for everyone is where you want to go. I think we're going to, with especially betting product, I think it'll be around. I think as you expand the marketplace, it's going to be good, but we have to understand that like, like FanDuel and DraftKings both do not think that, DFS is their core business. Right. Right. Like if you think that you're living in, you know, you, you're living in 2015, right? At this point, like, I mean, the, the sports books are huge, right? huge deals. There's a huge amount of money. Like, and in essence, if you think, I mean, you know, they, they, more power to them, right? I think, again, I think they both have their issues, but like, I think the product for betting is a very good product. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, I, and full disclosure, we work very close in hand. Like, you know, we work very close in hand with like the FanDuel Sportsbook out of Jersey. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, again, I think they have their issues, but that is their core business and it's a smart play. And they, the upside for them is huge. And we, again, we want them to do well. I mean, I think what we want to do, I think some of the more experimental players that could come into Marketplace are interesting. I really do wish that Yahoo would get off their ass and get smarter. I've always said this, they get smarter about the second takeover of the place because they've already got the fantasy users. And again, for them, it would just be a matter of converting the customers during the season long into, into DFS. Yeah. And again, if I'm, for somebody like you, for somebody like me, for somebody like, I mean, the more fish we can actually get in here, the better off we're going to be. It's, we don't want this to be poker. We don't want this to die, right? So we want, we and, and the fact that like gambling is getting more accepted, we have these players who are getting cash influxes. Like the, the providers of the books, we want to get them to the point where like they can draw more users again, right? So, which is why I thought the whole uh, the whole bachelor thing was just mishandled. Oh yeah, yeah. Because it was an opportunity for you to kind of grow, and I mean, I get I get why what happened happened, but I mean, it, I think the problem is like again, you had a set of unforceable rules. So you had a set of rules, terms of service that you were not willing to enforce, right? 
They just weren't willing. Like that is, they were not the only example of somebody like with two people playing off the same library. That's and 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 this has always been the case. So you you either have it as a rule and enforce it, or you don't have it as a rule. Right. Right. And I think that's because how do you how do you stop how do you stop people from playing like multiple family members from like playing tips? Right. Right. This is where people get it wrong. Oh, it's collusion. It's like, well, it's they didn't like they did not break a law. They broke a conceit. This is like counting cards, right? Yeah, it's frowned upon. This is like when I this is like when I play cards. This is when I go play blackjack. Like where where basically when I go play back like a casino, I basically play for a little bit and leave because I cannot help myself from counting. Right? It is physically impossible for me to turn off my brain and not count. right. Can't do it. Can't happen. And I'm not the only person who's like that. Like, you know, if you know how to do it, you know how to fucking do it. It's one of the reasons right? why I don't play anymore. Yeah. I, I got kicked out of one of the casinos up in Blackhawk up in Colorado for counting cards. And yeah. I, I can't not do like, it. Now. I know it. When, when, yeah, when you, can, when, you, when you can hit the five card, the five quarter, because you, you know that are, all the low cards are coming, and you can hit the bonus on that. People, they, they kind of frown when you got kind of do it. Why does he keep hitting? That's not good. But, but again, you know, this is. The point is, like, so, and the casinos, again, the cas- you're not breaking the law by counting, right? No. But the casino can refuse to enter. This is exactly what's happening here. The problem is, like, again, like, FanDuel and DraftKings are not going to spend the money, right, or the effort to actually, like, enforce these rules, right? Right. So if you're not going to spend the time and effort to enforce it, just change the terms of service. I don't think it's going to make anybody mad. Just change it. Yeah. Right? The problem is, like, you either if you have them, you have to enforce them. If you if you if you are not willing to enforce them, then you shouldn't have them, mm-hmm. right? And I think they should really. And I think the issue was like I believe the issue was with uh, I think it had to do with I think it came from Massachusetts is where the, the problem came because I think these things are in the terms of service because when they were trying to get the Massachusetts license, and again it's been a while since I read all the legislation, but I believe it was the Massachusetts uh, legislature when they were actually like negotiating the licensing that put in the restrictions. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look at the references for that. But like, I think they just need to make sure that it, I would, I would, if I were them, I would kind of like be looking to simplify kind of, thing. I would not be looking to add regulation. I'd be looking to simplify and clarify, right? right? Because, and, and don't put anything in place you're not willing to enforce, right? Because I think at the end of the day, it just creates a situation where like, um, one that you're not willing to enforce and not willing to, not easily enforceable. And again, this is the important point. Guys, it's not against the law. What those two guys did is it's, it's a violation of the terms of service, but it's not against the law. Right. right? They didn't break any laws by doing that. Right. So you can't sue them like people were trying to do. Well, here's the other thing. If you sue them, you, you can't force a wife to testify. I mean, obviously they're getting divorced, but you can't, you can't force a wife to testify against their husband. Right. right. That is statute. Right. So. What are you doing? Like again, the whole point is, whatever. I think again, I, I would want the sport. I, I would want to continue to look for like simpler and more accessible formats. I would like to look for them to look to continue to look for more kind of partnerships with the leagues and getting things that get people interested, so we get more people in. But again, we are a specialty betting product, right? And what you want to do is you want to get it. Like the ideal situation for a DFS player is you want more public in place and you want more players in the market. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing, that, the other the thing that could kill the market is if the bid gets too broad. Because so, and I was explaining this to someone like so. The the problem right now is the edge is moving more towards straight up betting, because whereas before in the U.S. you had no legal sports book and no competition, 
right? So you're getting like you were getting tough lines at bad at bad prices, right? Now you have you know what, 15 legally accessible books in the U.S., right? And you have competitive pricing, you have broad differences, and a lot of arbitrage opportunities. Mm-hmm. So the VIG on bets for prop bets and for whatnot is way lower than the VIG you're currently playing on the DFS side. Right? So from a value perspective, right, betting on futures, betting on props is a lot cleaner and a lot more value than doing that because one, you'll get a better price, right? You can you can literally like you know we were looking at this during the foot, during football season. You could do because of the variation of different books. You could do some some of some really insane parlays when you're getting huge value on these teams that you know aren't going to win, mm-hmm. right? Because they're basically literally tanking. Or you can get arbitrage on say the Cowboys. Like you can get arbitrage on the Cowboys and the Jets because the Cowboys are favored out in Vegas, and the Jets and the Giants are favored out in New Jersey, mm-hmm. right? Because of the local markets. So they were legitimately diff- there were legitimate differences. In the, in, the, in the spreads for both these teams, depending on re- their regional differences in the books. Now, if, and again, I'm not gonna get into the whole math of it, but if you're getting if you're getting different pricing on this, there's arbitrage to be had. If you have books competing against each other, the spread prices are gonna drop. From like maybe 110, you can get a 107, you can get a 106, right? I'm assuming we have some hardcore gamblers there, so like they understand what I'm saying. But like the fact that the market now has a lot more players on the betting side competing against each other means your pricing and your arbitrage is in your favor there, mm-hmm. right? Because beating the books at a 110 VIG is a lot harder than beating them at a 105. Exactly. Yep. Right. So, and the problem is right now for DFS, it's swinging the other way because really you have, you have, yeah, let's call them three major players, right? Yeah, do we call Yahoo a major player? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but I mean, like, the pricing structure has gotten kind of, like, bad or, like, not as attractive. So there are tournaments, like, you know, I like, I like my tournaments when I'm playing GPP. Rule of thumb, I want 20% of the tickets to get paid out, right? Mm-hmm. So I want 20% of the tickets to get paid out. I'd like first cash to be two to one, and I'd like the top price to be at least uh, 10 times what my maximum bet would be for. Yeah. Right? So let's 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 walk this out for your for, for your customers. Let's say it's a one dollar GPP, right? So if it's a one dollar GPP and I'm playing 150, I'd like my top price to at least be a thousand five hundred, so 10x, right? Mm-hmm. I'd like the like you know if it's fifteen thousand entrants, I'd like three thousand to get paid out, right? Minimum, and I'd like my first price to be like the the first cash to be two dollars, yep. right? Yep. This is a this is a nice flat. It's it's a flatter payout structure, and, and it's you know I don't need them like the like a millimaker is the complete opposite. Of that. The the millimaker is going to be a long term money losing proposition because unless you win, right over the long term you're going to end up losing money because on the back end there's too much money concentrated at the top, right? Yes. And I that's that's one complaint. That's the price structure I like. The other complaint is like there is no there are no mid tier tournaments anymore. It's really annoying. When I started playing, there was a $25, a dollar, a $2, a $3, a $5, a $10, a $12, a $25. Yep. Right? Every day. And now you go $5.25, and I believe the next one up generally is going to be either a seven or a 12. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is kind of annoying because, like, if I've gotten to, and I've gotten to the point where, like, yeah, I, again, if I'm growing organically, right? They're not, you have to think about it from the customer side. If I'm growing organically and I'm paying $150 at $25, which means I'm playing $37 a day, right? 
And I get to the point where, like, what's my next logical step? In essence, you're asking me to jump from a $37 play max with DPP to jump to something like a, you know, 75. If I'm going to if I'm going to $7, I'm jumping to like a $100. I'm basically going 3x, right? Yep. If I'm jumping to 12, right? I'm, you know, I'm jumping almost 100 times. Yep. Right. So give give people the steps so they can actually grow so you can convert those users who are running the like this is like if it's just like if you walk in the casino in vegas right and they had the they had the quarter slots and then the next slots were like ten dollar slots what the fuck yeah. right yeah give me a dollar like I mean, there's a five dollars like a five cent slot 25 cent slot give me a dollar slot right what are you doing give me something where i can you know give me the ranges right you know, you, you, you got to have the ranges so you can get the max amount of money. And I think the other thing that the, the sites do, and I know why they do this, they, they, they undersize the tournaments. And they do that because if from the, like, going to explain some of the logistics from the book, book stuff. They're setting the, they, they set the tournaments to guarantee that they fill. Yep. Right? Because the tournaments are guaranteed paid outs. And if they don't fill, they're basically running overlay and they're paying that out of the pocket. Now, they will set it for overlay in the beginning of the season for the sports because they're trying to draw suckers in. So in essence, the over the overlay is advertising, mm -hmm. right? This is why you get overlay the first week of the season for NFL because they're trying to draw customers in, right? So they're in essence they're in essence taking a two hundred fifty thousand dollar hit as advertising. Fine, they can write that off. But what I get mad at is when they'll set tournaments, the lower end tournaments, and they get filled five hours before lock, right? Like every NHL slate ever. Right, but that means somebody's doing. Like somebody's not taking the time to actually do their 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 equations properly. Mm -hmm. If if it like if it's if it's filling five hours before, look, set up a response system so it, you know get a little closer, right? You get more customers. Figure out a way to actually do this. See if you can actually adjust it so you can actually and, and I'm telling like talk to the legislators. See if you can get variable sizes. Yep. Right. Yep. Like instead of like locking me in at three hundred thousand, like once I hit three hundred thousand, let me go to whatever the hell the customers want, mm -hmm. right? Guaranteed payouts. What happens? Oh, if you go to five hundred thousand, the top prizes keep rising, right? There's a way to set up a flexible structure, yep. right? And explain it clearly to the legislators so they understand it. Like adjust it to that. Do something. And I get the part that they don't want to get the, the loss, but they can work on doing some of that to make it more flexible. They can make it a right? bit more it, flexible at the very least. Right. Imagine, imagine if the quarter or the dollar or the five dollar tournament just like if you just kept adding more people, the prices just kept going up. Mm -hmm. Like the casino, you know, again, casino. If you walk into the casino, the slot, the grand prize keeps going yep. up. Right? So somebody hits it. The more they play, the more it goes up. And that's, I think that's what they're, they have to figure out a way to make it more flexible and more accessible. And I, again, I think the other thing that I think, the, the real threat is you want to make sure that you have more players. Mm -hmm. And my advice right now is if you're in this marketplace, if you're not looking at. All right. Well, there's two hour limit. <laughs> the right point i think what i was, what I was going to say is like right now from a customer perspective it just makes sense that the edge is on the betting side right yeah yep and if you're not focusing on betting models and if you're not focusing on putting out things and developing things to go into the betting market then you're behind yeah i mean i think that's that's kind of the key kind of uh lesson for that we're, we're a sub segment and uh, and right now it is a sub segment that is limited in terms of the competition and the pricing so in essence you're getting bad you're getting a bad day is really what's happening mm -hmm. and which is why people complain about people are complaining about payout structures but really what you're complaining about is the big right right the yeah, big yeah. is bad and like the edges are bad and i laid out what the ideal contest structure is 
And that's kind of what I want. And I mean, I'll keep playing because I enjoy it, but I understand that the edge is not there at, yeah. at the moment, right? And the way, how do you get the edge back? Well, you get more players in the space, right? Yep. And yep. which is why I wish that I wish that Yahoo would, would be smarter about this because if Yahoo was smarter about that, they could be a major player in the space. Right? Yep. Because they could build the best tournaments and they could have less vague and they could they could build things right. Right. And, and, you know, they have the technology, they have the user database, and they can convert the most public users into the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, imagine if Yahoo did a best ball. Right. Like, how are they not, how are they, how is that not something that is like a slam dunk? Yahoo, do, do best ball, man. Like, just do yep. best ball and promote it across all your platforms. You will make so much money. It's not even funny, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and like, give, give, like, give everybody a free best ball. Where they can basically put like give everybody every league that's out there, long-term league, give them a free best ball where they can basically deposit some money and have it paid out in cash. Implement increment cash payouts for all the leagues that y'all are. Like, yeah, yep. like I'm giving you the stuff for free, man. Come on. What are you doing? <laughs> but all right. Well, let's think- uh let's let's close this out and uh, like kind of get your your last thoughts on if, if you could give advice to anybody listening to the podcast right now, just one piece of advice to become better in the things that they are doing now to prepare for the future, what would it be? I think, again, and I've touched on this, uh, on this a lot. It's like, be humble. And what I mean by that is, is always be willing to understand that you might be wrong and always be willing to check and always be willing to grow and learn. Right? So am I wrong? Yes. Why am I wrong? Okay, well, this is this. How do I make it better? Right? And so, you know, be humble and listen and see what people are doing because you always, the moment you stop trying to listen and grow is the moment that like you should stop playing, right? Or you should stop doing whatever you're doing. And I think that's kind of the key. And I think that like the other idea, and I mentioned it because like, you know, people are saying like, Oh no, you stick to it and you don't quit. It's like, guys, no, you like in the gambling space, you have to understand there are times when you need to quit. Mm-hmm. Understand that. Don't lock yourself into something. If it doesn't work, walk away, right? And they're always, again, they're always there are 20 different things you could be doing on the betting space or in the DFS space, right? And move to the thing like if you it's something's not working, try something different. There are 10 answers to a different problem. Try a different one. And yep. and you know, I mean. Edges come and go, and, and, and things come and go. But like again, you can always you can always figure out something something different to do. This isn't this isn't checkers, right? Or tic tac toe, right? This is the tic tac toe, which is this isn't a solved problem. Like you, you you know you know there's there comes a point in your life where you figure out there's only there's a, there's no way to win on tic tac toe if you're playing somebody who knows how to do it. This isn't that. There's always like a different way to actually do things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that I would tell people to do, which is like you know be flexible and be humble. And I think if you can actually achieve those two things, you'll do well here and you'll do well in life too. And then it's, it's, it's a whole, you know, it's a little bit different than what you typically thought, which is like, oh, don't quit and keep trying, keep hard work. But like, you know, it's not hard work if you're knocking your head against the wall, right? Right. It doesn't matter how much you pound your head against that wall, that wall isn't going to break. So you walk over to the window, maybe you'll be able to get through the door or the window, right? That's kind of what you have to do. And I think that's, that's, that's the lesson I would tell people. And, and I would say that like, you know, I've, I've worked DFS many different ways and many different styles and with many different people. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think I've had a first share of success in terms of my finals and, 
and like winning tournaments and doing well in different sports and building betting stuff and and as I like a lot of, all the stuff for me is, is is I'm very open about this stuff. It's all out there. It's it's all on Daily Roto. It's on the Slack. It's all on my Twitter. It's all in articles I've written in different places. You can go and take a look. I mean, like you can look at my soccer model. You can look at my NCAA model. You can find my over under picks for the past six years for NBA. You can find my playoff picks for NBA for like you, all this stuff's out there. And you know, sometimes I'm wrong and sometimes I'm right. And I think one thing where, you know, I have a lot of time followers, like when I'm wrong on something, I, I'm not going to erase it. I'm not going to be like certain personalities and just like make it disappear. Right. Like, no, it's out there. It's like, I was wrong on this. Why was I wrong? Okay. Well, let's analyze that. Right. Let's understand why I was wrong about this. I was, I, I was wrong on Jason Tatum. I'm a big Celtics fan. I didn't think Jason Tatum was the right pick. Right? I actually like Jonathan Isaacs more than Jason Tatum. Isaacs, here's the thing. Jonathan Isaacs is, has proved to be a very good player. He's proven to be a good defender, and he probably would have been a good fit. But Jason Tatum is a better player, right? Right. At the but the reason I probably like there's reasons why my model did not like Jason Tatum because he was playing on a loaded team, and you know there's there's some scuttlebutt that he was probably hurt that year at Duke, so his numbers were a little off. But the moment I saw him in person, I got to see him in summer league, and I got to see him in person in Brooklyn. I was in Brooklyn at the time, and I got to see him in person again. I was like, no, I was wrong. Right. And but I understood I looked at it, I understood it was wrong, I didn't erase that, and I, you know, I informed my take, right? And I think that's the key. Um, you know, for DFS and for this kind of thing, for like forecasting and for doing any models, you're gonna be wrong. Like if your model is properly built, you're gonna be wrong. Like if your model is properly aligned to hit the median projection over time, you're going to be wrong a lot of time, right? Oh yeah. Models are always wrong. Like if you, because it's the nature of a model. Like, you know, if something is, if X team is 75% to win and the other team is 25% to win, if your model is done properly, you're going to be wrong 25% of the time, right? Mm -hmm. People miss that, but you're going to be wrong 25% of the time, right? And if, if, you're, if your error doesn't line up with reality, that means your model is off because you're predicting the wrong uncertainty on something. So if you predict something that is, you say, oh, this is going to happen 75, things that are going to happen 75% of the time happen 99% of the time. That's not a good result. That means right. your error is, even though you're getting more, your error is still off. You're, you're pricing it wrong. So right. this is the nuance that people miss a lot of time. And I think that's kind of, you know, that's that's a thought. You you know, you you that's the thing. You want to understand, you don't want to understand just the meaning. You want to understand the variation, right? You want to understand where you're going to be wrong with you. And you want to set that right because that's in gambling and in DFS, that's what sets the price, right? Yep. You're always fighting against the price. I think that's that's a really, really good piece to end on is understanding the variance in your own models and your own play. Um, thank you so much, Arturo, for coming on. I respect the hell out of your your building and the way that you think and the way that you approach things. And um it was fun. Just, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it again when we can like do some forecasting or talk about the playoffs. Oh yeah, let's do that. I, I want to do another podcast where we talk a little bit more about like the specialties and stuff like that. So definitely, you know, you, you and I can talk as we come into baseball season. But this has been the Building the Baseline podcast with James McCool. Again, I had on Arturo Galetti. He is American Numbers over on Twitter. He is a fantastic algorithmic mind in the community. Go follow him and do all those things. And uh, thanks for tuning in. And here's until next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, James. Right. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. I'd nope. always a pleasure getting to talk to you. And um, anytime you want to chat about things, you you know where to find me.
Perfect. Same thing. Oh, let me send me a link when you have it so I can actually share it too. We'll do. Absolutely. Perfect. Thanks, man. All right. See you, dude.